Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track, right to the wall. Gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field. Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone. Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, I can tell you this is not how we thought the show was going to go today. And boy, did it take a turn, and it turned to the right really fast. The commander was over at my house as we're preparing the new studio, which I think a lot of you are going to love. Yes, you're going to see it on video. Uh, Down the line here, we're... We have the sound panels, the foam that we had to put in water, so they expand. So we're in my backyard, and all of a sudden, Matt Olson is traded to the Atlanta Braves. And next thing you know, both of our cell phones absolutely start blowing up. And it's hard to believe that Matt Olson no longer is an Oakland Athletic. And there's a couple different ways to look at this. As a fan, it absolutely sucks. I there, There's no other way uh, that I can sell it to you. It absolutely sucks. Matt Olson was a terrific Oakland athletic, came up through the system, 142 home runs, really, really fast, a career 859 OPS, for the athletics, which is absolutely fantastic. It is it's heart heartbreaking. He's gonna be twenty-eight years old coming up here on March 29th. He's a Pisces just like myself. By the way, my last show in my forties is I will turn fifty tomorrow. Some people will be like, Yay, you turned fifty, isn't that great? Some people will say, Wow. You're lucky you made it to 50, and I might have to agree with some of them. I personally think that in the next five years, Matt Olson will be a guy that will at least in these next five, so take him 
28 season, 29, 31, 32. By 32 in the next five years, he will at least start to earn himself a guy that will get Hall of Fame votes. When you have all those home runs, because home runs beyond the steroid era will mean something again. Like the numbers, like you get the 500 home runs again, you get to over 400, it's going to mean something. Where there was some shine taken off it when so many guys were getting to it, it'll get back to because these guys are clean and it's a huge achievement. And you throw on the defense and you throw on the gold gloves. He'll, I mean, that's an honor just to get votes. He will get votes. I don't know if he'll become a Hall of Famer. I don't know if his career will match to that. I, I, I said it. If I had to make a bet on one guy to win an MVP trophy and everybody was like, well, Simeon, or, you know, because Simeon got third place, had a phenomenal year, but Trout and Bregman were just ahead of him. Matt Chapman, my money was on Olsen. So it hurts to see him go. And I want to talk about this trade in a couple different ways, but I first want to address it as a fan. This sucks. And I know if you ask Billy Bean, and I know if you ask David Force, and I know if you ask anybody in the front office, and I know if you ask anybody uh, on the coaching staff or Mark Kotze, the new manager, how do you feel it sucks? There's no other way to put it. And I feel bad for you fans. And I feel bad for all of us that watch this and care about this on a daily basis. To watch a talent like this go. See, Chris Bassett, I could sell the Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett's 33 years old. You're getting something for a guy that's got one year left on a deal. Who knows what his career is going to be like? He's 33. You got a pitcher potentially for the future and a pitcher that could be in your rotation this year. And this Gen guy, if he can give you a few years, so I, I could see that. You could sell that. This, you can't sell this. This is just, as, a, as just a fan, because you don't care about the business side, you don't care about the money side, nor should you. That's not what f- being a fan is. Being a fan is loving the team today. March 14th, I love this team. I love the guys on this team. Now, front offices don't think that way, nor should they. But as a fan, you don't care about next year, the year after that, or the year after that, or 2028, or 2030. You care about today. What what am I going to see today? What am I going to see on April 8th, opening day? And you're not going to see your big all-star first baseman. And that is really hard to swallow. So that's how I wanted to start the show out today. There's no other way I could present this to you as an A's fan. I'm sick to see him go. Everybody else that could be traded, I'm like, all right, I, I, I can get over that. Seriously. This was the one, this was the guy that I'm on record going, hey man, there's one guy I'm I'm putting my money in. Now, with that said, let's get to the business side. This was a shrewd ass deal. This was shrewd on both sides. Think about this for the Atlanta Braves. Just think about that. 
you just won the World Series. You are basically telling your franchise hero who just won the World Series, see you later. We just got younger. We got more flexible. I don't want to say cheaper because I don't know how much Matt Olson is going to cost long-term because if you're going to keep him long-term, he's not going to be cheap. But you just told your franchise player, take a hike. Thanks for helping us win a World Series. Take a hike. You know how all of us always, you know, we're worried about jersey sales and names on the back of the jersey and all of that? Think about all the people that have Freeman on the back of their jerseys. And they just said, see ya. But they got more flexible. They got younger. That is a shrewd move. The the definition of shrewd, having or showing sharp powers of judgment. Another way to look at it, piercingly cold. That's how you say this deal. Now, from the A's point, yeah, you just took their number one prospect. You just got yourself in it. When you were looking at a horrific outfield, You just took their number one prospect. You just took a guy that's got a little bit of uh, big league experience. You're talking about a guy that uh, played on a team last year in the big leagues that won a World Series. He's 23 years old. Could he be a star? Can he be a star? Don't know. But Christian Pache is a guy that A lot of people like, and the Braves had to give up a lot. Langoliers is how I believe you say the next guy's name, the catcher, Shea Langoliers. Commander, is he their number two prospect? Yeah, he's number two. So you got their one and two prospects. Yeah, number one and two in their system. MLB.com has uh, Pache the 38th overall prospect, and Langoliers the 69th overall prospect. So you got two top 100 guys, according to MLB.com. And Keith Law actually um, just did his evaluation of the trade, which we can go over in a bit. But, um, yeah, those are the two guys, and you got two younger starting pitchers. I believe um, Estes was a – or, no, um, Cusick was a t- first-rounder in 2021, and Keith Law says he may have had the best fastball in the draft. And then right-hander Joey Estes has been in Atlanta – was Atlanta's 16th-round pick in 2017. So you got four guys – and you immediately just got the best prospect in your organization. I got to believe Soderstrom, uh, he's young. I got to believe Pache because he's someone that still hasn't had a lot of big league time, will still be considered a prospect. He'll immediately become your number one prospect. Uh, Langoliers will immediately become a top three, top four prospect for you. I know it's tough to swallow, but this was a shrewd move. You helped just restock your system for the future. And when you talk about shrewd moves, unfortunately, this is a business. And with a business, moves are made that you're not going to love. I mean, the Bay Area has lost a lot of great athletes. A lot of big names have been moved. (laughs) I mean. 
Joe Montana got traded. Willie Mays got traded. Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, you can go down the line of great players who have left the Bay Area. Ricky Henderson has been moved how many times? Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco. I just, it's tough. But it was very shrewd, and long-term could be a great move. But right now, and I'm, you know, I'm still going to root for hell, for, root like hell for Chris Bassett with the Mets and now Olsen with the Braves. And we know with these ex-players, that as they leave, that, you know, they'll always be friends. And they'll always adore their time in Oakland. And they really, what I have seen over the years, is when they leave, they appreciate it more. And you hear it when they come on this program. You know, when a Kurt Suzuki comes on this program and talks about what this place means to him. When Sean Doolittle came last year and talked about what this place means to him. The same thing with Bassett. The same thing with Olsen. They'll all have that. There's something special about Oakland when you play here. You're hoping that, you know, one of these guys would be a franchise guy, but let's face it. As we said, Matt Olson is going to be, what did I say, he's going to be 28? Yeah, this will be his age 28 season. Okay. And this gets back to the biggest overall black cloud that has hung over this franchise for a long time. Folks, the real is it's March 14th, 2022. And there's still no stadium deal. It's March 14th. Remember all the votes. Remember all the stuff. People followed on Twitter. People get all excited. It's still March 14th, and we don't have a deal with anybody. There's not a deal here. There's not a deal in Vegas. And tomorrow I'm going to wake up March 15th on my birthday. I'm 50 years old. I've been dealing with this as long as you have. I've been in the media here in the Bay Area now for a long, long time. Well over 20 years. I got into this, what, when I was 26? I'm 50 tomorrow. How long have we been talking about this? And we're still not there. And it's shrewd business, and it sucks, but this is a reality. 2028? We don't even have a deal done today. 2028 at the earliest? How old's Matt Olson in 2028? 33? That'll be six years. He turns 28 at the end of the month. So six years. He'll be 34. 34? When the new ballpark shows up? Every single day goes by that we don't have biting a by I want to say Biden. Binding agreements and shovels in the ground. Every day that goes by, every day these projects get pushed back, you're not keeping the players. Every single day, and, and this has taken forever, and we're still not there. 
You can hate it, and I expect you to hate it. I hate it. That running joke, I hope I'm not retired by the time a new ballpark comes. But if you want me to give you the real, I'll give you you two things. Here's the real. This sucks, and the reality is we're nowhere even near a ballpark. I don't care what anybody says. There's nothing in concrete that says this is a go, and it's March 14th, 2022. And as a business, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And whether it's the A's or the Braves, this was a shrewd business move. And I know you can be angry, but can you really argue with it? When we're talking 2028, does it... does anybody listening right now know where they're going to be in 2028? Can you guarantee me where you're going to be in 2028? And you know the answer is no. Hopefully you're alive. Hopefully your family's good. You're good. There's love in your life. There's, there's wealth and happiness and everything, passion and all these great things that life has to offer. I hope they're with you in 2028. But you can't guarantee any of it. And every single day that goes by, this new ballpark gets pushed out even further. What's going to happen when we hit midsummer and, you know, I don't even know when the next vote is. I, it's exhausting. If you think the lockout was exhausting, that was only 99 days. The, pers- the pursuit for a new ballpark is exhausting. You want to talk about wake me up when there's a shovel in the ground? I mean, how many more votes? How many more this? How many more that? All I know is every day it goes by, the longer it's pushed out. So you're going to sign up a guy. And here's the other one that, you know, if we want to be fair, let's be fair to everybody. I don't know if we're going to get him first. Whoever gets David Forrest first needs to ask one question. Needs to ask the question, did you talk to Matt Olson's agent and were they interested in an extension? So you're going to get a yes or no on that. And if they, if he says, yes, we did, and then the next question is, was the price, was the price tag too high? Once again, for a team that's not looking to open up a ballpark till at least 2028. Did you or did you not speak to his agent about an extension? Because in the end, and I think here is the wink-wink with Matt Chapman, there's got to be two to tango. Everybody acts like this is all the organization. Everybody acts like... It's the A's are making these decisions and no one else has a decision to make. And you might go, wait a minute, that's kind of confusing. What? A player has to want to be here. A player has to want to sign. You can't force players to stay anywhere anymore. That's not how this works. They have X amount of time and then they have the ability to leave. And you always end up finding out the more the information once a player leaves. He turned down this. He wanted this. 
He never wanted to be here in the first place. But if he wanted to be here, he wanted X, which, of course, we were not going to pay. Details, the inner details for us are not going to be out yet. Matt Olson, we're going to hear from him. He's talked before he left. He's going to tell you, yeah, it sucks, but I'm going down to my hometown team. It's generic stuff. Was he interested, and was the price tag too high? Maybe he wasn't even interested. What if Matt Olson's representation said, yeah, odds are, David, we're not going to re-sign here. Well, then obviously you got to move him. So in every business deal, there's multiple sides. But in baseball business deals, there's two sides. There's the franchise side. There's the player side. I can take you back to Josh Willingham. Remember Josh Willingham said he wanted to stay here? He never wanted to stay here. He just gave us the lip service saying he wanted to be here. You know, Matt Chapman can say he wants to be here. Okay, Matt Chapman, here's an offer for 110. Yeah, we want over 200 million. Okay. So before we before we get to conclusions on what went down, we got to know, you know, the players got to want to be here. The players got to know the price tag. The players got to be comfortable with that price tag or you got to move them. Or if the organization Never even made an offer and never really talked about it. Well, then you can judge the organization any way you want. But we got to have the facts to really evaluate whether we're super mad and who we're super who we're super mad at. You know, did Matt Olson come to the A's and or did they come together with the the agent and say, "I want to be here." Let's put together a fair deal. And a fair deal would have been to me over $100 million. Or the agent goes, my guy's going to be worth well over $200 million. We're, yeah, it's not going to work out here. And with a ballpark not coming until at the very earliest 2028, you're not paying somebody $200 million. It's not going to happen. You're not going to see that in Oakland. You're not going to see it in Tampa. You're just not going to see it. Try and sell this to the Braves fans. That's the, you know, this is, it always is surprising to me the reaction from my friends who have my cell phone number who all of a sudden they start, it, it, it like, it's like it's all, it's like you forget how business has worked in the past. This is kind of the MO of the business model right now. Until until there's guarantees and until you know there's a ballpark, things are going to kind of be how they've been run. And you're going to have to hope that these new players that are coming in in the next couple of years blossom and you go on another run based on the model that you have, the model that you've been going on. But signing guys long term to huge contracts, that shouldn't shock you. That has not been a part of the model. And they've told us it's not going to be the model until you have the revenue streams in the new ballpark. So we shouldn't be shocked, but yet we still are. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, don't don't feel like you shouldn't be mad. Don't feel like you shouldn't be shocked. You should. You're a fan. You care about today. You don't care about 2028. But we do have to we we have to talk about the fans' viewpoint, and we have to talk about the business side. But how do the Braves sell this? It reminds me of Albert Pujols and the Cardinals. 
Albert Pujols had just won a World Series with the Cardinals. Supposedly, the only other team in play was the Marlins. Were they, Cody, the Florida or Miami Marlins then? Well, that that first year the Pujols was in L.A., they would have moved to their new ballpark, so they would have been Miami? Or did they switch when they moved to the ballpark? Uh, you know what? Don't know and don't care. <coughs> Excuse me. That went down the wrong pipe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the last time we probably saw something like this was Albert Pujols. But still it's different because the Cardinals didn't bring somebody in and, and, and eventually cut the cord with Pujols. Pujols took the phantom team out of nowhere because if you remember at those winter meetings, it was – well, it's between the Cardinals and the Marlins, and the Marlins are going to offer more money because they want to build around him and bring a Hispanic player down to Little Havana. You remember all that talk about why he was going to go to Miami? And then out of nowhere, here comes Artie Moreno and the huge check. But this is this is you going and cutting the cord with the player, not the player cutting the cord with the organization. But you have a star player, franchise player, your your biggest franchise player since Chipper Jones. You just won a World Series, and you just told him bye bye. Essentially, I I believe Alex Antopoulos, their GM, was speaking about it, and it looked like he was almost <clears throat> to tears talking about how, you know, it's probably going to be the end of Freddie Freeman. Now, where's he going to end up? We keep hearing Dodgers and Yankees. That's all you keep hearing. Well, let's just say this. Not only, not only did you tell him goodbye, in a way, you took some of his leverage away. You kind of kicked him, too. Because he always had, hey, the Braves still want me. Hey, I can always go back to my team. We just won the World Series. Hey, L.A., hey, New York, you need to pay me more money. If you want me to leave my team, well, now he doesn't have that leverage. Remember, this is all negotiating. It's business. Not exciting. I know fans don't love to hear all this, and if you're a Braves fan, you'd hate to hear this. But let's let's be honest. The Braves were always the fallback, just the way the Cardinals were the fallback for Albert Pujols. I can always go back to my team. I can always go back to the team I just won a World Series with. That's why you need, as Anaheim, you need to pay me more money. You need to give me more years. Freddie Freeman just lost that. That's that's shrewd, man. <laughs> that is some shrewd business performed by the Atlanta Braves. And, you, and you've mentioned it already once or not, several times about Freddie Freeman's age. He's 32. He'll be 33 in September. So it's not like he's a Matt Olson's age at age 28. And he was leaving. Atlanta's not bringing him back. He's already in his, his early to mid-30s now. Well, mid, early 30s. So you're right. I mean, he's probably – I mean, most likely he's not coming. What are you going to do, D.H. Matt Olson? He's a gold glove first baseman. Freddie, Freddie Freeman's only won one so in his career. So Olson will be playing first base. Now, what are the Braves do with the rest of their lineup? But that, that's – you know, we don't know yet. But Freddie Freeman, between the Dodgers and Yankees, the Dodgers will probably throw him more money. And you probably have a better chance to win in L.A. than you do in New York. 
right now. The way that, that is th- just that is just you, you're spitballing. Well, yeah, because none of us know. None of us. Well, know. I mean, but you 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 have no history with the Dodgers to say that they'll take an older player under this regime and give them a long term big money contract. We have not seen this regime throw around money at all. Except, yeah, well, the biggest deal they still signed ever was, as a free agent, was that deal they gave A.J. Pollock. It was like four for 60. 60. Yeah. You, and he's not, wasn't in his 30s. Yeah, he's in his 30s now. But he They gave the- Mookie Betts. The only big deal, long-term deal they've given is Mookie Betts. Yeah, and that was That's resigning it. him. That's not- it. That's it. Because, really, the Trevor Bauer deal was only a two-year deal with those options. There's an opt-out in the after the second year. There's an opt-out after the third year. So that that really was just a two-year deal. So when you say, oh, Freddie Freeman long-term, I don't know. We've never seen the Dodgers go long-term with a guy that's going to be 33 years old. And the Yankees have not seemed to be looking to go, go older long-term anymore with players. Brian Cashman realized that's not that's not that's not the way he wants to go, right? Yeah, I mean, and now that he's now that he's picked up fifty million dollars from Josh Donaldson's contract, so how much can you really throw around for Freddie Freeman now if, after he did that deal to get Josh Donaldson? Yeah, did we? It's basically been like a full off season in three days. Uh, pretty much. Fernando Tatis Jr. If you haven't heard, that's something we're gonna Matt Matt Kalahara from the uh, San Francisco Chronicle is gonna join us in moments. Um, yeah, we should. Are we going to go over it a little bit later? All the three hundred million dollar contract guys and how's that, how's that working out? Uh, it's not great so far. <laughs> yeah, you want to sign guy sign guys long term? Uh, talking about moving Trout to left field doesn't sound like he's happy about that. Fernando Tatis Jr.'s got a wrist broken wrist. He's going to be out for three months, as it's being reported as we speak. Matt Chapman has been dealt to the Toronto Blue Jays for four top prospects, pretty good prospects, uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays. Nothing is a shocker at this point. We understand exactly what the game plan was after the lockout. I know a lot of you, once again, this show is kind of, it's kind of, kind of going to be a repeat of what we did on Monday. It's the exact same show. These are not the type of shows we want to do. We want to look forward to the season. We want to be happy. The lockout's over. Opening day is on the 8th. We've got, you know, spring training starting on Friday. This is amazing, right? Baseball, the sport we love and care so much about. And, you know, Monday's show was about Matt Olson being traded. Today it's about Matt Chapman and two guys that were supposed to be the centerpiece to build your organization around two guys that you drafted you groomed you trained now gone and it's the ugly side of business and the ugly side of the business in baseball if you've listened to me long enough I feel like I'm just repeating myself you know we're going to be honest sucks it's not, you know, it's not fun as a fan. The business of baseball, the business of organizations, you don't care. 
You want to show up. You want to look at a product. You want to be proud of it. You want to own it. You want to love it. You want to invest your time, your money, your heart, your soul into it. And when you fall in love with players, they end up leaving. And it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But the reality is, this isn't the first time you've gone through it. And it's not going to be the last. It's going to continue to happen. And I love how everybody thinks a new ballpark is the answer. No. That a new ballpark, is, that will not be the answer. Because that's not the answer in sports anymore. Just because you get a new ballpark, just because you get a new arena, just because you get a new football stadium or a hockey or basketball arena or whatever, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to keep certain players forever. You're dealing with human beings. No one stays around forever. Father Time is undefeated. And it's just a reality check. Now, you would like the ability as a fan to have players longer. I understand that. But nowhere in sports is anybody going to stick around forever. I got Tom Brady on the phone. Tom Brady's a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Again, by the way, unretired. Joe Montana. I mean, he's about the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Quarterback the, is the centerpiece position in sports. It's the most popular position in sports. It's the most talked about position in sports. Two of the greats of all time. Tom Brady ended up being a Buccaneer. Joe Montana ended up being a Kansas City Chief. It's just life. And I know as A's fans, you'd like to keep players for a long period of time, and you'd, you'd love for just once to hold on to a guy way too long, but you never do. It's actually the Bill Walsh theory. You never hold on to a guy too long, you get rid of him early. And the fact that you you really thought this time around, okay, I understand the past, but this time it's going to be different. Nope, it's not. It's not going to be different. And this has been going on for over 20 years. Well, you can say go back to the 70s teams, Guys never stayed for the, the longest time. Yeah, okay. So then you as an A's fan have been dealing with this your entire life. You dealt with this, if you're old enough, with Reggie Jackson and Catfish Hunter and that group. You dealt with it with Ricky Henderson and Jose Canseco and then later Mark McGuire and that group, Dave Stewart. Then you dealt with it with Hudson, Boulder, and Zito, and Giambi, and Tejada. I mean, I, I hate to rip the Band-Aid off, but that is just a reality. You've never had that career guy. The guy that comes up and stays with you for 17 years, and you have that jersey retirement, and you don't have that. You have had a lot of success, and you have had a lot of winning, but you don't get that. You don't get that marriage. You get like the strong dating. You get to date somebody and it's a great, it's a great time. You, there's the early stages of dating where you're just, you're just, you're, you're tickled pink. It's just something special, right? Oh, I found somebody so special. And then you move in together 
And it's great, and you see this future together, but you never end up getting married. And you move on to the next one. I don't know, is that a good analogy, Commander? As someone who's recently gotten married. By the way, married for the second time. So you know yeah. what it's like to be married, get divorced, and then remarried. Yeah, uh, I think that's a, I think that's a, an anti-analogy. But you see where I'm going? It's yeah. like when you take a player from the time you bring him up all the way through certain arbitration years, you go from dating into your, 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 your living together. And then when it's either time to put the ring on or not, Billy and David never put the ring on them, and they move on. And here comes the new crop of players. And you go through, you're angry, you're upset, you don't like the organization. And then all of a sudden they start winning again, and then you fall in love with the new stories. It's a cycle we've been through over and over. I can't tell you my phone, not only because of my birthday, but uh, – because of everything that's going on, my phone's just been blowing up. It's like, guys, this is not my first rodeo. We've been through this how many years? The 2012 team is probably the greatest example. That team that boarded the airplane to Japan, go look at the roster that played in Japan. And then go look at the roster at the end of the year when they made the playoffs. It's a completely different team. That's why... It's so important that you you root for the name on the front of the jersey, not the back. Do you think in 2012 when everybody was demanding to rip the tarps down, rip those tarps down, Lou Wolf, rip them down, and the place was packed for the postseason, and it was taking on the Tigers, and everybody was going nuts. Did you give a crap who was on the team in Japan? No. Where's Kurt Suzuki? I don't know. Where's Bartolo Colon? I don't know. You didn't give a rat's you-know-what who that team was at the start of 2012. You only cared what that team looked like at the end of 2012 and that they were in the postseason. I know it's hard to hear that. You so badly want to love a player for 17 years. I hear you. But that's not, that's not really reality in any sports anymore. How many teams has LeBron LeBron James? I'm not trying to be Mr. NBA, even though I worked in the NBA. And by the way, who by the way who hosted all the Warriors coverage the last time they won their last two championships? I believe that'd be you. Ah, who did the hosted the on radio the parades? You. So I'm not saying I'm Mr. NBA. I'm just saying this: this guy LeBron James had a nice little career. He's a good little player, wouldn't you say? He's a good. He's, he's a decent player. Yeah, he's had a nice career. Uh, played for a couple teams, won a couple championships. Was that know? recent thing the only guy with like thirty thousand points, third, third something rebounds, something and, assists? And assists? Yeah, he's only guy ever. Yeah, he's uh, pretty good. He he might end up in the Naismith Hall of Fame when his career's over. So you're telling me a guy that's one of the greatest athletes we have ever seen walk the planet? Of course, he played on the same team his whole career, right? Yeah, he was a Cavalier his whole career, I believe. And then before then he went to Miami he and play? came back. Wait, he he left. He went to Miami and came back to Cleveland, and now he's now he's at the Lakers, and now he's saying, "Don't roll out. I could potentially end my career with Cleveland." I mean, a guy staying. Kevin Durant's one of the greatest players. He's his old career was in Seattle, right? Uh, no, because the first, he only played one year in Seattle, then they moved to uh, Oklahoma City. Wait, a minute, I thought everybody stayed in one city their entire career. 
Uh, no, they're very rare anymore in sports. The Derek Jeters of the world aren't really happening anymore. It's just not happening. It's I, I and I know and I and I and I feel bad for this younger generation of sports fans who don't know that. You know, I hope Aaron Rodgers stays his whole career in Green Bay. Brett Favre didn't. You know, the fact that Elway got to spend all his time in Denver, great. I mean, you can look at the guys at the top of the leaderboard in some of the greatest statistical departments of all time. I mean, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Emmitt Smith. Emmitt Smith didn't play his whole career for the Cowboys. Went on to play for who? The Arizona Cardinals. That would be the Arizona Cardinals. So it's just... Having guys stay on the same team, I know you want it. And the, and, and the next group, let's face it, the next group of players that if the A's, if we can get this stadium thing done, how old are those group of players when that honeymoon period starts and you want that complete team ready to play for a championship year in and year out, how many? How old are those players right now? How old are they? I want to, this is something to really be, I want you to really, and I, this is hard to listen to. I get, these are hard times. And I help you get through these hard times, but I have to bring you reality. Players in their prime, guys are 26, what do you want to call it, 26 to 32? Yeah, that sounds right. I always said, yeah, I always heard that, or 27 to 33. I'll throw 26 in that. I think the players, I think that window of prime years has gotten younger, kind of what it used to be, right? When they used to talk about, hey, you know, the top players in Major League Baseball, you look at in the 60s and the 70s and – even in the 50s, these guys were coming up early. You know, they weren't – there was no college baseball, really. You know, they were all coming out of high school. They, they got to the big leagues. The good players got to the – hell, Al Kaline was playing when he was 18 years old. I was just going to say, Al Kaline from prom to, to major leagues, essentially. So, if I say – are we, like, we going to count this year? So, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. That's seven years. For example, Shea Langoliers, the catcher that the A's acquired from the Matt Olson trade, would be in his age 30 season, going to be 31 in November. So let's just say the ballpark doesn't open until 2029. That means the players that will be in your – think about this, A's fans. The ballpark. If the ballpark gets delayed any bit longer, and we now start talking 28-29 – these studs that you want in your organization in their prime when that new ball when the new ballpark opens up the way the Indians did it in the mid 90s remember John Hart and the Indians they're the blueprint of how you get a bunch of young talent and then you get it ready for the new ballpark and then once you get in the new ballpark you got all this young talent then you have money and then you bring older talent free agents and even older guys with some pedigree and you make a super team and that's what the Indians had even though they played in two world series did win one but they were great let me tell you something those guys are in high school right now do you understand i mean this is like a, a tough reality that 
that that mix of 26, 27, maybe 28-year-olds potentially right now are in high school. That's how far away a new ballpark in Oakland is. The only guy you can say that's in the system right now that would be entering the prime of his career will be Tyler Soderstrom. He's not, what, 19, going to be 20, so seven years from now he'll be 27. I mean, if you want to count Robert Plasson. And that's <laughs> if the shovels are in the ground and the stadium's built in 2028. It could, a little snap foo, some lawsuits, this thing could go into 2029. He's now 28 years old. So when you think Olsen and Chapman, would you love to have them now? I think, yeah. But if you had any vision of them being a part of a new ballpark, you're crazy. They'd be mid-30s. Uh, Olsen would be 30, 37 years from now. He'd be 35, and Chapman would be 36. Age regression model. And that takes us to... I don't know if I, we talked about this on Monday, and I wanted to replay a little bit. Do we have time for that? Yeah, it's a, the the clip's only two two and a half minutes. Okay, on Monday, and just kind of you know testing the the waters of how people are feeling. I want you to I I, I want to go over these trades and kind of why they happen. And I want you to hear what we said on Monday. So you can hear it. This is what we said on Monday about how in business, in baseball, both sides got to be willing to do a deal. Everybody in our world, A's world, other organizations are different because their fan base views them differently than our fan base views us. So in our world, is it safe to say, Cody, our fan base always views it as it's what the organization wants or does not want, and that's just how decisions are made. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Is that fair? Yes. They never say, well, how did the players feel? So let's play what we said on Monday about the Matt Olson trade. Whoever gets David Forrest first needs to ask one question. Needs to ask the question, did you talk to Matt Olson's agent and were they interested in an extension? So you're going to get a yes or no on that. And if they, if he says yes, we did, and then the next question is, was the price, was the price tag too high? Once again, for a team that's not looking to open up a ballpark till at least 2028. Did you or did you not speak to his agent about an extension? Because in the end, and I think here is the wink-wink with Matt Chapman, there's got to be two to tango. Everybody acts like this is all the organization. Everybody acts like... It's the A's are making these decisions and no one else has a decision to make. And you might go, wait a minute, that's kind of confusing. What? A player has to want to be here. A player has to want to sign. You can't force players to stay anywhere anymore. 
That's not how this works. They have X amount of time, and then they have the ability to leave. And you always end up finding out the more the information once a player leaves. He turned down this. He wanted this. He never wanted to be here in the first place. But if he wanted to be here, he wanted X, which, of course, we were not going to pay. Details, the inner details for us are not going to be out yet. Matt Olson, we're going to hear from him. He's talked before he left. He's going to tell you, yeah, it sucks, but I'm going down to my hometown team. It's generic stuff. Was he interested, and was the price tag too high? Maybe he wasn't even interested. What if Matt Olson's representation said, yeah, odds are, David, we're not going to re-sign here? Well, then obviously you got to move him. So in every business deal, there's multiple sides. But in baseball business deals, there's two sides. There's the franchise side. There's the player side. There you go. That's what we said on Monday. And I'm glad we framed it that way. Because less than 24 hours after Matt Olson was traded and a few hours after I said that, Matt Olson signed a new eight-year deal for $168 million. Cody did the actual time. Cody, the time from when he was announced that he was getting traded to Atlanta to the time that they announced a new contract for Matt Olson in Atlanta was? Less than 24 hours. It was about 23 hours. The trade happened around 11 a.m. Monday. The, the news of the new deal came out at 10, 10 a.m. You know, Pacific time on Tuesday. So 23 hours, essentially. Didn't we say it takes two to tango? Yes. So, so clearly, Matt Olson wanted a new contract. Clearly, his, uh, his, his agent knew the kind of contract that he wanted. When Matt Olson left Mesa, he talked, David Force talked, everybody was vague, and less than 24 hours, he signs an eight-year, $168 million deal. Isn't it amazing how they tell us nothing, but their actions speak volumes? Isn't that amazing? Why did Bob Melvin leave? Well, he was kind of vague, and the front office was vague. Now we see all these deals. Now we know why Bob Melvin left. He didn't want to go through this. Why is Matt Chapman gone? Matt Chapman wants over $200 million. Scott Boris. We know that there's been talks in the past about how much he was going to get and what the A's could offer, and it wasn't enough for him. So you want to always, and I'm not trying to sit here and be pro-A's pro organization guy. This is just reality. It is business. And these players can price themselves out. Look at the Freddie Freeman thing going on right now. Some people believe Freddie Freeman, who has lost out with the Braves, now with Rizzo signing a two-year deal with the Yankees, that he's losing out on the Yankees, that he's starting to overplay his hand. That maybe the the pond is starting to shrink for the suitors for Freddie Freeman. It's business. So our fan base always blames the organization. Well, Matt Olson leaves like, 
Matt Olson left the A's dumbfounded, like, well, I get to go back home and it's going to be tough to leave, and less than 24 hours signs a a life-changing contract? You don't think he knew what was going on? By the way, when you when you sign an eight-year, $168 million contract, a lot of people are involved in that. You don't think the owner is involved when you talk about $168 million guaranteed? That's just not something the GM signs off on. The entire organization and ownership have to sign off on that. It has to be negotiated. It had to be. It had to have been talked about. Probably agreed to before Matt Olson ever got on the plane. But yet he left here like, oh, well, I get to go home and it's a new beginning. Cody, do you see what I'm saying now? Do you get it? Well, it, it, I remember when we were we – because were, we were together on, on Monday when the trade happened, and I looked at it and I said it would be interesting if a new deal – he signs a new deal in Atlanta right after the trade or in a couple of days, kind of like Mookie Betts did when he got traded to the Dodgers. What happened? Mookie Betts signed a new deal to Dodgers a few days later. I don't know if it was 23 hours later that it was announced, but Matt Olson signs a new deal 23 hours later. Now, are we going to say it's going to happen tomorrow with Matt Chapman and the, the Blue Jays? We'll have to go over this in a bit, but how are the Blue Jays going to afford all these guys that they have coming up on contracts? Who cares? They're doing it. Yeah, and they might be the best team in the American – they might be the best team in baseball right now on paper. You look at their starting staff. You look at their bullpen. You look at – I mean, they actually – they actually could go after the record for most home runs in a season. If you look at their lineup and their projections, what's the record now? 307, I want to say, by the Twins? Twins, yeah. And I think the Yankees said 306, so that's the – These guys, one through seven, they could do that easily. Yeah, you, you replace Marcus Simeon, essentially, with Matt Chapman in your infield, and you put Kevin Biggio at second. But you still have Bichette and Guerrero Jr. and George Springer healthy, most likely playing center field. I mean – you're playing in a in a hitter friendly ballpark. Everybody in your division is hitter hitter friendly, except Tampa. These guys could easily break that record, easily. I mean, it, it, you got guys not only thirty home run projections, but a guy like Guer- Guerrero could be over forty. I mean, that is unbelievable. What I want to talk about with Frankie Montas and Sean Manaya, Cody, which I think. Interesting. It just always shows you that we're always going to be dealing with this, and it doesn't matter what era of baseball. High mound, low mound. Juice ball, non-juice ball. Juice players, non-juice players. It doesn't matter what era. Era of we throw our starters into the ground or an era of today where we hardly throw our starters. You just don't have pitching. And it's always been this way, and it's, I guess, always going to be the case. They were talking about my man Matt Vaskersian, because they brought up the A's again today, and it's like, oh, God. But they brought up the A's. But I'm not, you know, I, 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 I won't be saying that a lot, because I, as, I, as I've talked about for many years here on A's Cast Live and all the different shows that I've done around this ball club, is that you always got to know where your club's going, and you judge your club on that direction. We will not judge this A's team on a team that we're expecting to win 95-plus games and compete for the division. We'd be morons. It's not how you do it. It's not how professional sports works. The, The club has given you the direction. The direction is 
a retooling direction and find guys for the future. That's how we got to judge the team. We can't purely judge them on wins and losses. If not, we're going to pull our hair out and we'll be going bonkers and need therapy by the All-Star break. Under promise, over deliver. If they go on and this A's team actually starts winning games, it's a luxury. Over promise, under promise, over deliver. That's what we're going to do here. And we're going to look at, okay, who's here and how I always, when I start going through these seasons, you'll start hearing me as I transfer from what we've been into, which was win mode and win now, it now transitions into who helps us in the future. Are you in or you out? Are you on this three-hour cruise? That might be, that reference might be a little too old for you. I don't say I don't. I don't get it. Cruises aren't three hours long. A three-hour cruise, Gilligan's Island. Oh, uh, I mean, I know the show, but yeah, you're 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 kind of dating yourself. All right, here. who who's who's who, who's on this trip? Because not everybody's going to be on this trip. Not everybody's going to be here for the future. So we need to find out who's going to help and who's not. And if you're not, we're not going to be harsh. It's just you're not a part of the plans. You're building a blueprint right now. Who's a part of this blueprint? Who's not? And you know when it starts? Do you know when this journey starts of finding this new blueprint to get the A's back to the postseason? Today? 105. Mark it on your calendar. You got got a little over an hour and a half, and the new journey starts. The new blueprint. Finding who's going to be the foundation Who's going to be the concrete? Who's going to be the studs? Who's going to be the two-by-fours? Who's going to be the base of this franchise going forward? And why I mentioned Manaya and Frankie as they were talking about them once again on MLB Network this morning, and I'm thinking, man, you would act, or you would think they were acting early this morning like the A's were out there shopping dudes. Like, you were shopping guys that had hardware. So I'm on the baseball reference page of Sean Manai and Frankie Montas. Like both these guys. Really like Sean. Sean, you know, if the A's hold on to Sean, be very happy. Don't think it's going to happen. But Sean Manai is a is a terrific young man. I mean, he's a really, really, really solid guy. But... You go to his baseball reference page. I'll let you look, Cody. It says awards to the very far right. Um, what's in the awards category? I have it open on my computer, too. Uh, there's um, there's nothing. I go over to Frankie Montas. Awards? Uh, nothing with Frankie besides finishing what? He finished where in the side voting? Um, sixth. Sixth. This past year. So no awards. Okay. Doesn't make you a bad guy. But here's the thing. We are not that far removed from in 2019. Sean Manaya just pitched five games because of coming back from his shoulder. And then the next year after that was 11 starts. And that was because of COVID. And that was a 60-game season. So you're talking in two years, in 2019 and 2020, You're talking about a grand total 
of 16 starts for Sean Maniah. Now, last year, had 32. It was fantastic. And to talk to him about his growth and, and, and feeling healthy again. But can you imagine you're, you're a top, we got to go get this guy, and you've started 32 games once in the last three years, and you're now heading to be 30 years old? And that is what, that's how desperate teams are. Let's go to Frankie Montas. Frankie Montas took the ball 32 times last year. And Frankie has been a player that you would say, okay, let's look at his career. Came out of the bullpen, really struggled, was awful. And I remember a conversation with Billy Bean and Sandy Alderson, and I can't remember who else was there. There was like two other people, and it was at the owner's party at spring training, and Billy looked at me. Well, he had asked, he talked about Sandy because Frankie had thrown that day. And I remember he looked at me and he goes, have you ever seen anybody who throws as hard and has that good of stuff and gets hit like him? And I was like, yeah, I, I, not really. And this was at the owners, the John Fisher, the Fisher family owners meeting that we, we used to have when we had a thing called, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, called spring training. Yeah, we used to have that in baseball. Um, but all of a sudden, Frankie found himself. Remember, was 9-2, and two, I believe it was looking like a guy that could be starting the All-Star game in 2019. Frankie, look at that, Cody. I think he was 9-2. and two. He was absolutely because he came back and pitched one more game at the end of the year. I don't know what his – I don't know if he got a decision there, but I want to say he was 9-2 and two at the time. He was looking to start the All-Star game and then the dreaded PED suspension. So here you got MLB Network talking about a guy who – Gets popped for a PED suspension 2019. 2020, 2020, Frankie, what, what, you know, what was Frankie in 2020? He was a guy with a 5.60 ERA in the shortened COVID season. Three and five with a 5.60 ERA. Last year rebounds with a 3.37. We call that pretty good in baseball today with a 13-9 and record. But in the last three years, you've had suspended for PEDs, horrible year, respectable year. And he's out on the market right now like he's a must-have. Isn't that crazy? When you just look at Sean Manai in the last three years, what he's, what he's dealt with, you look at Frankie Montas, what he has dealt with, that if you looked at the resume, you wouldn't say, Got to have those guys. But people are so desperate for pitching that no matter what the issues I just talked about, and I was thinking about this morning on my couch, when I tried to tell Spencer the dog, he wasn't didn't care. So I've waited for to tell you, Cody, and our A's cast audience. Think about the last three years for Sean Manaya, last three years for Frankie Montas. But they're on MLB's flagship cable channel, as if you're out there dealing uh, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin are out on the market. I thought about this a lot because Manias 30 and Mont- Frankie's going to be 29 at the end of this month. Not young. So, again, uh, I don't need to bring up the age, but I'm going to. The A's have one of the oldest pitching. No, they had the 
oldest pitching staff in baseball last year. That's starters and relievers combined. So if you get if you trade these two guys, yeah, d- does the age go down? We'll, we'll see. But you're right. The last three years for both guys haven't been Cy Young worthy. You know, Frankie last year was after he figured it out. He was great. But you know, you keep hearing today, like John Heyman put it out earlier today. The A's are receiving a ton of interest in Montas and Mania. Interested teams had hoped there'd be a deal by now, but there's a lot to consider. Both have understandably high price tags, especially Montas, who's not a free agent until after next year. The team's interested, the Yankees, Twins, somehow the White Sox have all this money that they're going to throw around in prospects, so they have the worst, second-worst-ranked farm system. Uh, Royals, Cardinals, and still many more in. Well... So, They want to win in Chicago. Jerry Reinsdorf is – I don't want to date him too much, so I'm, I, I want, to, want to say at least late 70s, if not 80s. Jerry Reinsdorf was born in 1936. He is 86 years old. So you got Jerry Reinsdorf, the longtime owner of the White Sox and the Bulls, he wants to win another World Series. He's got no shot at winning an NBA title. He got his with Jordan and the boys. He's good. But he wants to win another World Series. He brought in he brought in Tony LaRussa, his buddy, to remedy the uh, biggest mistake he said of his baseball career, getting rid of Tony. Tony's 78? Yeah, that sounds right. So you got an owner that's 86. And you got a manager that's 78. Um, they're not looking for the future. They're looking for now. You're, not, you're telling me they're not looking for a rebuild in Chicago? They're not looking for a rebuild in Chicago. They're looking to win now. So that makes sense, right, for them to go out and be buyers. Now, for a for a team, if I'm just if – I, if I'm a front office, I mean, how old Frankie and Sean are really doesn't matter to me. I just need them – I mean, if you're looking for him for one, two years, but if you're having to give, if you're having to give up prime, like your prime assets to get these guys, knowing that you may not have them long term, that's where you have to weigh: is this a a a, a good business deal? Matt, how you doing, Chris Townsend? Are you down to spring training? Hey, Chris. Yeah, uh, down here in Mesa. It's been a busy couple of days. No doubt. Just tell me what it was. I believe you guys got a chance to talk to Matt Olson today. I know you uh, probably got him uh, on camera uh, and off. What was it like, and what did he say? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was it was weird because um, we had actually today was their first full squad workout, um, and it was also the first day the media was back in the clubhouse in the morning. So we were going to talk to him in the morning. Uh, didn't get a chance before um, they held sort of a team meeting before uh, you know first workout. And then uh, when the players came out onto the field, um, he actually didn't come out with them. I guess they had decided to, to hold him in because the trade was getting close and they just needed to finalize some details and they didn't want to risk anything. So he didn't come out onto the field. Um, news obviously broke while everybody was on the field and, and they brought him out in, into the dugout a few minutes later. Um, and, you know, he was, he expressed, you know, both, he said it was bittersweet. I mean, that was the, the word he repeated a couple of times. Um, to be leading the A's, obviously a team he spent his entire career with so far. Uh, on the other hand, he's he's an Atlanta native, um, going to the world defending World Series champions. Um, and I think, aside from that 
he also just kind of expressed a little bit of a little bit of relief um, at knowing where he's going to be. Um, I mean, there were so many questions, uh, not only about when the season was going to start with the lockout, but whether the A's were going to make moves, when they were going to make moves, who was going to go where. Um, and so I think for him, there was also just a little bit of a little bit of relief knowing where he was going to go. And the way that he put it was that if he did have to go somewhere, um, Atlanta was, was really, you know, it was probably the place that he would choose given his roots there. And the fact that he grew up a Braves fan, um, basically until he was drafted. So, so yeah, it was a mix of emotions, uh, but weird scene overall. And, uh, and yeah, now he's off. All right. So I'm not sure who is going to get their first crack at David force. I don't know if he's going to come out and do a press conference. I don't know if we're going to get him here on A's cast, but I'm just going to, as an A's fan, want, if you get him first, what I would want the, – the question I want to have answered is, was there ever talks with Matt Olson's agent about an extension? So it's a yes or no. And if it is a yes, why didn't it get done? Because if it – I mean, obviously, if, if Matt Olson's agent is smart, he would want a lot of money because I think Matt is going to be worth a lot of money. But that's all I'd want to know because – a lot of times we just like to blame the organization, but it takes two to tango. A player has to want to be here. He wants to sign long-term. So if you get a crack at him before I do, can you ask that if they ever actually got into serious contract extension uh, talks with Matt Olson's agent? You know, we did actually uh, for a few minutes in the dugout um, this afternoon after the trade was, was made. Um, David Force did come out. We did talk to him a little bit. Oh, okay, um, cool. That's that specific question, yes or no question, was not asked um, before. I think it's been it's been a theme that uh, both Billy Bean and uh, and David Force have repeated it a couple of times is that until there is an agreement in place or until they have a new ballpark, uh, the consideration of a long term extension to the extent that it would take to sign a player like like a Matt Olson um, is not something that they can entertain. Um, obviously that's, that's not the sort of black and white answer that you that you would look for um, there, but that's what has been expressed. And really that's what force expressed again today. Um, he said, yeah, he basically said, this is an example of why we need a new ballpark because Matt Olson is a great player and, and you know, between the lines thing was that until that situation gets resolved, they're not going to be able to keep players like this around. Yeah, it's just, it's really tough for fans. You know, it's really tough for fans to talk about building for 2028 or whenever this new ballpark will potentially open. But yeah, mm -hmm. it is, it, it is really, really rough. Uh, what exactly did David have to say about the haul that's coming back for Matt Olson? Uh, he, he said they are excited about that. Um, he said, you know, the four players that they got back are all players that they have scouted, um, you know, extensively and, and feel pretty good about. Uh, if you look at some of the sort of the third party evaluations, I think, um, you know, baseball America had all four of these prospects in the top 15, top 14 or 15 in the brave system. Um, the catcher they got back was their number two prospect. I mean, uh, Christian Pache is the guy who has, you know, peaked into the majors a little bit. Um, he's still very young. I think he debuted when he was 21. 
Um, Force described him as one of the best uh, defensive center fielders uh, in minor league baseball. So, um, I, you know, the way that he put it was that's the part that they have to focus on when you give up, you know, a player like Nettles and you have to focus on what, what they're getting back. And, and he sounded optimistic about what they're getting back. Um, as for what they're going to do, or if these players can make an impact for them immediately, it's kind of, that's kind of unclear. I mean, we had, Pache would probably be the um, the guy who's, you know, closest or, or maybe has the best shot. Um, but Forrest did not – he said Pache will be in camp, but didn't want to commit to what they're going to do with him or his message is basically let's get him into camp first uh, and see how that goes. Obviously, the A's do – or they are going to need a center fielder uh, for the first month of the season. Because uh, you know Ramon Laureano still has 27 games left to, to serve on his uh, suspension from last year, but also who knows what the makeup of the roster is going to look like then or in a week or in two days. So, so there's still a lot of stuff going on. You know, we asked uh, what what's next for you guys. Are, you, are there still moves? Are you still having talks? And his his quote was, "Everything is fluid, so still a lot can change here." What did he have to say about the Bassett trade? Uh, you know, a similar thing where they, they like both of the pitchers that uh, came back. He said that JT Ginn is a guy that they watched in um, watched in college a good amount. Um, it sounds like he was the, you know, or it looks like he's, you know, was probably the the more highly regarded prospect that they got back of the two. Um, the other guy that they got back, Adam Aller, is a guy who's maybe the closer to making an impact for them. Potentially, he's a guy who could maybe. Uh, potentially help out for them this year. He actually got in today. We talked to him a little bit this morning in the clubhouse. Um, he had a good year last year between double A and triple A. Um, and is probably closer than again, who's 22. And uh, I think he had, he had Tommy John surgery in early 2020, came back last year. Um, so he's, you know, probably still a little ways away. Um, but, but that was, you know, a similar thing where it's, these guys are, are guys that they're excited about, but, uh, but it's with an eye, you know, toward the toward the future instead of instead of now. Yeah, and a lot of moves probably still to be made. I mean, you start looking; it's it's hard to even think about what the rotation will look like in a couple of weeks. I mean, April eighth is going to be here before you know it. You know, with Chris Bassett gone, you just start to wonder about other guys in the starting rotation. I mean, if you had to bet right now, and I know this is not easy. Who the opening day starter is gonna be? Who do who would you bet? I I know who I would put my money on. Uh, that that is a tough one. Um, I guess I don't know. Maybe I guess one of one of Sean and I or Frankie Montas. Uh, if yeah, there's always a possibility that they, that they trade both. Um, but I I. I don't know. I'll I'll go with one of those two guys, um, even though that's definitely not a scientific answer, and and there are still a lot of changes. What was was your guess? Okay, you're you're. I'm gonna have to get some odds on this, obviously. But what if I told you Cole Irvin? I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, of the guys who are, you know, aside from the two guys we talked about, then you're kind of going down the list. And Cole Irvin was the next uh, next man up in the rotation last year. Him and. James Caprillion would be the two returners, unless you know, unless they make a deal where they get um, get a starter back who has some major league experience or 
yeah. or can um, be somebody who can, you know, pitch toward the front of their rotation. That's always a possibility too. So yeah, it's just, it's, that's, it's so hard to predict what they're going to look like on, on opening day just because, you know, they don't know. And, um, and there, there could still be a lot of, a lot of changes before then. Yeah, I don't know much about Aller, but I do know at some point he's going to be in this rotation and he's going to get some starts, no, no question about it. Are you surprised mm-hmm. Matt Chapman hasn't been moved yet? Uh, no, I mean, I wouldn't say – no, I wouldn't say surprised. Like, it's – with the lockout ended on Thursday, Thursday afternoon at, like, 4, four Pacific, and it's Monday. <laughs> I was doing it, like, uh, not even four full days. Um and there wasn't too much action in the first couple. So, I mean, I know there was a lot of expectation that it was just like the gates were going to open and it was just going to be a free-for-all, like, free agent signs and trades and all that. And there has been a little bit of that. But um, but I think, you know, it's, it, it was going to take, uh, or it seems like it has taken just a little bit of time for things to warm up again. Um, I mean, the Olsen, the Olsen deal, Force described it as they had conversations with the Braves at the GM meetings in November about what a possible deal would look like. They talked about some of the players that the A's could get back in a deal like that. Um, and so some of that groundwork was like laid beforehand, but obviously there was still the question at that point about uh, whether the Braves were going to you know, potentially bring back Freddie Freeman. And that was something that stretched over into this side of the lockout. And so he said that really that deal kind of came together quickly and finalized over the last 36 hours or so. So, um, so it does seem like maybe waiting a little bit, but on the other hand, things are, uh, if you look at it in that way, maybe moving um, moving quickly still. So, like I said, they're still in talks. I think, and and just you know, looking at the year Olson had last year and what you what they were able to get back, and the fact that he was probably you know pretty clearly the 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 most valuable, the most attractive um, candidate they had for for a trade. I think uh, you know doing something there um, made sense to do early. Well, yeah, I I, I know it's been quick, but. I mean, all the moves that have been made, my God, it's almost like we've had an off season in just a couple of days. And the reason why I want to ask about Chapman and the speed of this is I wonder, knowing that his agent is Scott Boris, nor knowing that there's rumors that he's turned down over a hundred million, knowing that he may view himself at the age that he's going to be at 29 of a guy that should be, getting 200 million or not do you think any of that could be playing in a uh, a tough call for some teams to trade for because you kind of have an idea what he's gonna what he's gonna want long term uh, I don't know I mean it depends on what, who the team is because like if you're a team who's looking for somebody to come in and uh, you know and potentially give you a boost in immediately um i mean he still has two years of team control left like this is only a second arbitration year um so so there's no requirement for any team that that you know trades for him or requires him to to do something that's long term um they could still you know do a deal and, and have him for two years and and reassess after that um so so i don't know how much of uh how much that's a factor um I mean, maybe just looking at his season last year, uh, I don't know that it makes him more attractive of a, of a trade candidate than he was before that. Um, I can tell you that just that we talked to him yesterday, and he said that uh, coming out of the uh, out of the off season and out of the lockout off season, put on a lot of weight, he got some strength back in his not a lot of weight, but he put on some good muscle. He got some strength back in his lower body, 
he feels like he's even more removed from that hip surgery that he had and, and feels like he's ready to um to be you know to be productive and he wants to you know get back to the form that he was in 18 and 19 except a little bit more experience and a little bit uh a little bit stronger and healthier so um so to your i mean to your original question i don't know how much uh that would be a factor for teams um that are looking at the possibility here but i don't know we'll have to see uh have to see where the dust settles with him with everything that has gone on and with what we think is going to go on before opening day and maybe even after opening day, does this finally answer the questions for A's fans why Bob Melvin is now in San Diego? Uh, I, I, was there a question before? Like, was uh, well, we I mean, didn't you... we didn't know it with the lockout. We weren't we 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 didn't know who was coming and who was going then. Sure. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, that, that was probably an earlier indication. I think, I think that well, that was early November that, uh, that he left to, for San Diego and then it was mid November ish that, uh, that forced, um, attended those GM meetings and basically declared, Hey, we're open for business. Um, so I don't know. I think there was, there was probably a sense that they were heading for something like this, just given, the way that a lot of their key core players were um, are in those arbitration years and, and getting toward the later ones. And we're going to be do a lot of um, do some significant raises. And, you know, we know how they, they just handled their, um, their payroll in, in, you know, in the last couple of decades. So I, I don't like it. I don't know that it sheds any additional light on maybe it just reinforces um, what, what there were probably a lot of suspicions of um, was that this was, days are heading toward sort of an overhaul here. Um, and, you know, they had the, the front office here. They, they, and that's, the team had to allow Melvin to leave his, his contract. And, um, and the, there was an opportunity for him in San Diego with a team that looks like they're ready to contend, even though that Tatis news today is not great news for them. Um, but, but yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it sheds any additional light, but maybe it just reinforces what people might've thought then. And when you say this is also a reason why Mark Kotze is the perfect guy, because there's going to be some, some, you know, some rocky waves. It's not going to be easy, but you need somebody that understands the organization, somebody who's not brand new, who has the relationships, has the relationships not only at the big league level, but the minor league level. When you start to look at the puzzle, it's still not complete, but the the aspect of Mark Kotze, doesn't it kind of fill in the pieces, too, about why he's the right guy? Yeah, I think that's all accurate. Um, I think that the fact that he does have a, a good amount of continuity here, um, he'll have relationships with the players who are carrying over. Um, he had a long playing career and isn't you know that far removed from, from that playing career, so guys who are maybe coming up new um, or young, probably you can still relate to them too. Every player that we've talked to so far about the, um, about his hiring, uh, because, you know, obviously that happened in the lockout, so we weren't able to get a whole lot of player reaction at the time um, to him coming in, but everybody has been you know, very, you know, effusively positive about it. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the points that you made are, are, are all accurate there. And, and that's part of the reason why they wanted him in. Well, let's end on this. What do you expect in the next couple of weeks before opening day? Oh, that is a wide-ranging question. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, 
I mean, I, I don't, I don't think they're done. I think there are still, uh, you know, moves to be made. Um, I think the, the roster is, these are really vague answers. I think the roster is just going to look significantly different um, by the time we get to opening day. I think, I mean, I'm trying to remember what the exact quote was from Force today, but he basically said, like, they might get to opening day without some of the answers. I mean, we were talking about, like, who's going to be, now that Olsen's gone, who's your lead candidate to, or lead candidates to, to play first base? And asked about the, you know, Loriano not being there for the first month. Who's going to, you know, who are the lead options to play center field? And uh, he didn't offer much clarity there. So, like, if, um, and I think he, the way that he put it was there are some of these questions that could go down to right before or to opening day. So, I mean, there's so much, the way that it's being described um, or conveyed is that there's just so much uncertainty right now um, about what's going to happen in, in the next few weeks and how the roster is going to change that um, we might not have answers until we get there. Well, you play center. Cody can play left. I'll DH. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. I don't know how much ground I'm going to be able to cover out there, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you guys can back me up then in the gap, that sounds good. All right, my man, enjoy spring training, the, the, the brief version of it, and we'll see you back here in the Bay Area. All right, thanks, Chris. Sounds good. Matt Kalahara from the San Francisco Chronicle. Vinny, how are you? It is 80 degrees and sunny. It'll be in the 80s all week. You get down to 70 on Sunday, back in the 80s all next week. How, I am ready to talk about stuff that's happening on a baseball field. How, how excited are you for Friday? I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, yes, and it's going to be bittersweet, certainly. You know, it's, it's begun to, to hit me again, you know, that we're going to be without Ray, and it, yeah. especially so on Friday because, you know, I, it happened long before I got there, but in all my years, you know, the first day, the first two days of spring training, uh, and the pregame show always was parts one and two of Ray with Billy Bean on the State of the Union. And, you know, we're not going to have that this year and, you know, moving forward. It's, that's going to be tough, but I'm certainly looking forward to uh, the baseball, looking forward to seeing Ken and, and getting back to work. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, how close the broadcast team is and how close Ray was to all of us and to you and how much he cared about you and and what he brought you know, being on radio on days that he wasn't on television or, or during spring training. And, you know, you talk about someone that loved this organization and loved the A's, no matter what, good, bad, or ugly, no one loved it more than Ray Fossey. And it's going to be a year where we're, we're going we're gonna to pay tribute to this great man the entire year. But, yeah, I mean, the loss, I don't think we really know what it's going to be like until we go through it. And the other side of it, too, which made Ray so special is that, look, as we saw beginning today or even a couple of days ago, first with Chris Bassett and now with Matt Olson. And if you were believe everything you're reading, it's there's still more to come, that there's going to be a lot of change with this club. And while maybe the competitor in Ray would be frustrated that, like many fans, uh, would say, I wish we could have kept this club together longer. That's not happening. He would do an excellent job of of finding the positive in who's coming or who we get to see grow and who might be that next wave. The club is trying to find their way back to the postseason and, and do so during a, you know, a, a multi-year run. And uh, I guess, you know, for a variety of reasons, which are out of all of our control, they made the determination that this is the time that they've got to make that kind of evaluation. And 
and that's underway. And they've, you know, they've made some moves. They've gotten some power arms back, and we'll see what else comes ahead for us. This season will be which number for you at the Athletics? Uh, 17, number 17. So you think about that. For me, I think this is like year 25, 26, doing this in the Bay Area. You're talking 17 years. All these years we've talked ballpark. And here we are on March 14th, 2022, and we still don't have a deal for one. And it's, no. so, and it's so tough that all these years we go through all this and different players and this. This is not the first time this has happened. Hopefully it's going to be the last, but it's just, you know, we've been on this roller coaster with a new ballpark for a long, long time. I think you'll agree, Chris, because you've been very close to it with the, with the variety of shows you've done with Dave Cavill, with the build program that you guys have done. Uh, nobody's pushed it closer to the goal line than Dave and his team. And it does seem much more like a reality than, than you know, the, the lifetime of, of the conversation about moving. And so we'll keep our fingers crossed that by, you know, during the summer and certainly maybe by the end of, of the baseball season, we have a, you know, a clearer picture of what everybody hopes will be, uh, you know, the beautiful ballpark at Howard Terminal and, and what that would mean for this organization moving forward. And, you know, I, I started the show out with this, and, you know, we have to be honest, I thought this was a very shrewd move by both the Atlanta Braves and the Oakland Athletics long term. I mean, Braves fans are not going to be thrilled with this, but it could be a great move for them. But for us, we, you know, the one thing we always have to be cognizant of is the fans, and it's very tough when you have players that you love and you lose them. Yep, and but you got, you've got to keep in mind also this is, I mean, right or wrong, this is something maybe A's fans are more accustomed to than any other group of uh, fandom in baseball because they've seen the turnover time and time again. And while they've said goodbye to you know players that they've liked, they've they've come to embrace the the next crop of players through a combination of of trade and acquisition. And you know, you you look at the group that that they moved. Chris Bassett they acquired in a in a trade. Marcus Simeon they acquired in a trade. You know. You look at uh, what else is happening. You know, Josh Reddick back in the day was acquired in the trade. Frankie Montas, Shamanai. I mean, the list goes on and on. Ramon Laureano. These are guys that are close to to the A's uh, group, and these were guys that were not originally part of the organization. So you got to give credit to Billy and David and the rest of the staff that that identifies players and and makes those kind of decisions. Now, nobody wants to, you know, everybody would love to to fall in love with their team and keep them, you know. Uh, until the very end of the line, if possible, that just doesn't happen very often with the with the majority of teams. And even look at what you know, the Atlanta Braves, who won the World Series, have made a decision to arguably move what was going to be this this group's Chipper Jones and and said goodbye to him, that he's not going to finish his career as an Atlanta Brave. So, I mean, it, there there are different decisions for every organization to make, and this is the one that the A's have made and. This is what we're going to deal with. So I'm looking forward to seeing Christian Pache, Rome, the outfield. He's supposed to be a plus-plus defender. They got two dynamic power, number one, pick, you know, first-round pick arms in these deals with with the Mets and with the Atlanta Braves. And we'll see what, if these guys can can uh, accelerate through the system and see if they get a chance to participate on the big leagues, you know, 23 and uh, no later than 24. 
sometimes well, even this year. You know, when, when, when these things go down, it makes you realize why Bob Melvin left for San Diego and why Mark Kotze is the right guy for the job. I mean, if you would have brought somebody in here that did know, did know the organization, didn't have the relationships, didn't have the relationship with the front office or the other minor league coaches, minor league players, big league players, just how key is continuity and Mark Kotze for what this organization is going to do going forward? Look, we, we all respected the kind of player that Mark Kotze was. You know, the, the, the words used to describe his abilities, you know, you know a headsy player, a, you know, a guy that was uh, managing from center field, a guy that you had great leadership and great skills and made the most of everything that he had in his body. And those things will translate as he, you know, makes this transition as a manager. There will be, there will be challenges. I mean, things will, even for somebody that played for as long as he played and he's been coaching as long as he's played, some things will come upon him faster than maybe he had anticipated. And he will adjust to that. That's the nature of, you know, doing this for the very first time even though he's surrounded by people like Brad Ausmus, who he's very close with as a bench coach, and the coaching staff that they've been together now for several years. So he's going to rely on them. And yet, he's, as he told us, you know, when he first had a chance to meet with the media, you know, what are you, how are you different than Bob Melvin? And they said he's taking nothing away from Bob, who is as accomplished as, as they come in the big leagues. But Mark Cotte says, you will, you will, you will read my emotion easier easier during the course of a game or or as games go on than maybe with Bob. It had nothing to do with Bob's want or willingness to win every single game, which he certainly wanted to do. And the challenges he had with trying to absorb losses and doing so basically from a, you know, from a place away from people to see, you may see more of it outwardly from Mark Hatze, And that's going to be a little bit different thing, I think, for A's fans. And well, I think that spark will play for a club that's, that's going to be, you know, they're going to have to, for the, for the deficiencies that they potentially are going to have at the outset, especially moving the kind of veterans that they've had and the kind of production they've had, they're going to have to be very good at playing the game, you know, taking the extra base, knowing when to take the extra base. The A's had the most outs on, on the bases in the league, not including home, you know, like first to third, you know, home to second, you know, things of that nature. That, those kinds of things – they're going to have to be much, much better at uh, as as they try to determine who's the talent, who's the group that they're going to go with moving forward. I think Mark will 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 find a way to put the stamp of who Mark Kotze was as a player, heads up, always in the game, knew what was expected of him, knew what he could deliver, and we'll see that stamp on the field. All righty, since the lockout, what's <laughs> what's the deal? What's the signing? Other than take the A's out, what's the one that's been most interesting to you? I think the what the what the Twins and what the Yankees have done with with that trade yesterday with their shell and Sanchez going to Minnesota, and then Isaiah Kiner-Falefer and Josh Donaldson going to the Yankees. I thought that was unique. First of all, we know Minnesota hasn't beaten the Yankees in the postseason since you know Methuselah was a pup, as one of my old partners used to say. I mean that they've lost like 18 straight postseason games for them, so they've taken two of their players. And they put them on their roster, see if that can help them. And they've, you know, they've acquired Sonny Gray as well. So they've been very aggressive. I don't think they're done either. I think the Minnesota Twins are, are a surprising team for the level of aggressiveness we've seen once the lockout lifted. I, I would put them, for me personally, 
because because I considered unexpected at the top of the list. Well, I got to tell you, last year, one of the most odd press conferences was Garrett Cole being questioned about spider tack. And one <laughs> and one of the reasons why he was questioned was because of Josh Donaldson. And that's kind of what J.D. brings. And J.D.'s kind of that guy when he's on your, your when he's on your side, you love him. When he's not on your side, it's a whole different ball game. But man, Kiner Falefa and what JD, what they're bringing to New York, it's interesting. They got that it factor. Look, when when, when Josh Donaldson made his debut for the A's in the big leagues, he was a you know kind of a for lack of a better, he was kind of like a, a pudgy, doughy kind of catcher when he caught Geo in in Toronto in in the debut, and the, the way that he's transformed himself and his persona and uh, allowed that to come out of him really speaks volumes on who Josh Donaldson has, has become. And we certainly saw it with the A's and it, then it grew with the blue Jays then going on other places. He's got to stay healthy, but he certainly has, has what a lot of people feel like is necessary in New York, which is that, that edge that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm watching you and we're going to do things a certain way. And if it's not done a certain way, you're going to hear from me. And we'll see if that, if that plays out because Aaron Boone is considered, you know, uh, you know, this, this very uh, relaxed kind of players manager handling, you know, the, the, on paper, the premier team in our sport, you know, with history and things of that nature. And maybe they felt like they needed something that's going to, not that, not that Booney doesn't have fire because we've seen some of that, but I think having fire from a player is much different than having fire from the manager. All righty, Vinny. Cannot wait for Friday. It's going to be great to hear you guys back on the air. Are you coming down at all? Are you going to come down here? Well, I'm, I'm hoping, but uh, we'll see how that works. Well, we'd love to have you. It's gorgeous right now. I'm ready. I'm ready for baseball. I'm ready for the crack of the bat. Awesome. We'll be listening. All right. Thanks, Tony. Vince Catronio, one of the voices of your Oakland Athletics. This Friday. So, during the lockout, Weren't we told that Major League Baseball said you cannot talk to Sarah Langs? Like, like you can't talk to players and you can't talk to Sarah, right? Isn't that what we were told? Yeah, I mean, Sarah's up there. Is one of, she's pretty much a player, so it's hard to talk to her. They actually said to us we had a better chance to talk to Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, before we could talk to Sarah. That's how. So the lockout's over, and, and we're free to speak with you now. Is that correct? Hi. We've missed you. <laughs> I miss you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Like, I was happy the lockout was over, but I think you were probably way more happier than anybody that I know. Because without baseball, I don't know what you would do. You know, I read some books. I sat around, watched some basketball, watched some hockey, watched some football. But so glad we have baseball back now. So glad. What is the number one thing lockout ends and you go, I'm looking forward to this? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's so hard to pick one thing, but I'm just excited for this Juan Soto MVP campaign. I mean, it's been coming. It is going to happen. I really think it happens this year. And, you know, just seeing all that he can do. And how about seeing Shohei Otani again? I mean, I know that's your division. I know that's a sore point. But we are, so, I mean, just we, the baseball world, are so excited to get to see him again. Yeah, you missed, you, 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 you mentioned 
Juan Soto, and I, I just to turn down the money he turned down at that age. Wow, I mean, not many people who will ever walk the planet can really just basically say three hundred and something. I, do you remember what the? Do we know the actual fit three fifty three something that he turned down? I think we just knew it was in that range. I don't know that we knew exactly. And you're right. I mean, there are very few people on the planet and who will ever be on the planet who will even get a chance to turn something like that down. But, you know, the reaction was almost universal. Of, of course he did. Of course he can do better. I mean, Mike Trout has the biggest contract, as he should. But I think Soto is the obvious player and waiting there to break that record and, you know, just break that record overall for guaranteed money and all of these things that baseball contracts do. Why are you so bullish other than we know he's got great talent and that this kid, bar, you know, knock on wood, barring any injury or any uh, craziness, will probably be a baseball Hall of Famer. But why do you yeah. think this is the year I got to put my money on him to be MVP. You know, I, I know the Nationals are probably not going to be very good. And obviously that could work against him. But we just saw a year where the top three and MVP in both leagues were on teams that did not make the playoffs. So hopefully that opens the floodgates just a little bit. And Bryce Harper had a great year last year. But I thought there was a great argument for Soto even last year. If you look at projections entering this year, he is projected to be the best player in baseball, no matter which projection system you're looking at on Fangraphs. We have Zips, we have Steamer, we have depth charts. They are all saying by wins above replacement, he's going to be the absolute best. Drive in 120 runs, 35 homers, which is a lot for him considering his plate discipline, considering how infrequently he swings. And, you know, a signing that happened last night that I actually think almost helped his chances is adding Nelson Cruz. I mean, that is some lineup pro uh, protection for him in a way that he really, you know, he had a little bit with Kyle Schwarber before he got traded last year, but not nearly on the same level. But if a pitcher is going to have to make the decision, do I face Soto or do I face Nelly Cruz when he's on one of those Nelly Cruz tears? I think that Soto just got a decent number of more hittable pitches, which we know he's just absolutely going to destroy. Yeah, Nelson Cruz is like one of those guys that defies all this age talk. Like, I mean, I don't care how old he is. He just needs to give you four at-bats a game, and they're going to be four legit ABs. And he goes yep. up to the dish with bad intentions. You know all the years that we've seen him with all the different teams he's played on in our division. He's a scary man, and I don't know why he chose the Nationals over everybody else because now that everybody's got a DH, you'd think that people would be coming out of the woodwork for him, especially in a one-year deal. But, man, he I mean, he's got to make Soto that much better. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I was also a little surprised to see him picking the national too. I don't think most people have really competing in the NL East this year. So we'll see. But I saw his quote today out of camp was the team convinced him they were trying to win. And, you know, regardless of where that is, they, they did enough to get him. And he's such a fun player. I mean, if you're a Nationals fan, you already have a great reason to go to the ballpark, no matter how the team is on the whole. 
with Juan Soto. And I really think having Nelson Cruz there, I mean, those home runs are titanic. And they're going to look great in that cavernous ballpark in Nationals Park. And he's going to get to play in the only active ballpark he's never played in, which is City Field, because he's been in the AL almost his entire career. He was on the Brewers for a, a second in 2005, but City Field wasn't open yet. Well, when I look about when I look at the news that's gone down the last couple of days, it's like we've had a crazy off season in just a forty-eight hour period. What were your thoughts? I thought uh, shrewd moves by both the Braves and the Athletics, and it's not going to be popular with any with either fan base. Uh, what did you think about the deal between the Bravos and the A's today? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was really interesting to see the Braves basically make their statement that Freeman won't be back. I mean, I feel like in the traditional offseason, the order is often reversed where the star player signs somewhere else and then the team, the incumbent team, makes their move. But it's March 14th, and the opening day is in, what, three weeks at this point, and you need to be able to get your roster set. As you said, I mean, it's a trade that, you know, I, I know is not making any fan base happy, but I hope, and you guys can certainly speak to this, that the Braves fans make their peace with it because, you know, the idea of Freddie Freeman not being in a Braves uniform on opening day, especially as the reigning World Series champions, is just hard to fathom. But Matt Olson is such a great player. And if you're going to not have Freddie Freeman, Having Matt Olson, I mean, there's an argument you're set up even better of a long haul if you're able to extend him at some point before he hits free agency. So such a great player, really worked on his plate discipline last year. I'm really excited to see him even more in the NL East. And, you know, it's a good, I think it's an interesting package of prospects and young players going back to the A's, I mean, uh, to the A's. Christian Pache is really interesting. I know he had the tweet. He was very upset. I always feel very badly for players who express things like that, but I think he will enjoy being on the team. And I think he's sort of the name that jumps out in that trade. But, you know, we've certainly seen some very interesting approaches on the trade market, obviously from the A's in recent days and from the Cincinnati Reds with Sonny Gray, former, uh, former friend for you guys. Uh, being traded over to the Twins, and then uh, more trades today with Osborne uh, and Winker. Yeah, you know, I, 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 it makes me kind of think of the Albert Pujols deal to where, you know, Albert won a World Series franchise player, ends up moving on. A little different, though, with Freddie Freeman because it was the Braves really taking on somebody else and cutting the cord with him. And I also view this from a business standpoint, in a way you kind of hurt his leverage because Albert Pujols was always able to say to the Angels, hey, if you want me to leave this great scenario that I have here in St. Louis, you got to offer me more money and more years. Hmm. Freddie Freeman could have used that with the Braves, but that now that's gone. If you're talking about negotiations for the Dodgers or the Yankees or whatever the mystery team could be, now that the Braves pick up Matt Olson, they cut ties, and that leverage isn't there anymore for Freddie Freeman. He'll still get paid, but I don't know how that affects his negotiations. It's definitely important to wonder about. I mean, it does feel like there's a musical chairs going on here. And I do think there are more than two teams remaining. 
for the two remaining first basemen left, you know, in uh, Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo, because the Yankees absolutely should be involved in some way. I know Luke Floyd is there, but they would be much better to have one of these players. The Dodgers obviously involved and you know, there's been talk about the Blue Jays and I don't know if that would involve moving Vladdy back to third or one of them DHing or something like that, but it does seem like there are at least three notable and you know willing to spend teams out there. So there still could be an odd man out, but there's no question that being unable to say, well, the Braves would take me with this deal, you know, not having that option in the negotiating room is a whole different ballgame for Friday. Now, obviously, Yankees make a move. There's going to be a lot of attention. And now the, this trade between the A's and the Braves kind of knocked it off the map. But Kiner Falefa and also our, our old really good friend, we love Josh Donaldson, J.D., both these guys come to New York. Both these guys uh, can be known to be a little prickly. They bring some spirit. There's no question. They bring toughness. They bring that kind of it factor. And a lot of talk about the Yankees taking on all the money for Josh Donaldson. But I love this move for New York. I'm a little biased because of my relationship with J.D., but I love this move for the Yankees. What do you think? I think it's fun for them to have a sort of outspoken player like that. You know, a guy who's going to be fiery. I mean, the Yankees have not had a player like that in a while. And they have such a reputation as a franchise for being so buttoned up. And, of course, that's great. And professionalism is very underrated, I think, at times in sports. But, you know, I think he's the type of player who's going to bring a lot of mirth and excitement to the team which is a really good thing. And he's still a pretty good player. You know, he isn't quite the MVP caliber he was a few years ago, but he'll help them for sure. And I like the kind of pull up a move. I mean, he appears to be the obvious, uh, you know, stopgap or uh, bridge between the current times and Anthony Volpe, who is their big shortstop prospect. So if anything, I think that the trade was almost a vote of confidence in that prospect saying, you may be our starting shortstop on opening day 2023 or by the all-star break that year. And it's great to see the organization have that kind of confidence in a young player. I mean, the reviews on him are rave and you can go read on any prospect website. Everyone is very all in on him. And of course we've seen uh, some other young, exciting uh, shortstops in the past for the Yankees. I'm thinking of Jeter, you know, but even Glaber Torres initially before things went a little bit south there. So I think it's a good move. I think it's the type of move where people sort of didn't know what to do initially because Gary Sanchez's time in New York was just, I mean, he hits these incredible home runs, but he didn't hit much else. His defense was so maligned. And it was just sort of this moment where I think his moment with the fan base had sort of passed. So it's maybe not all that and they moved on from him and Gio Urshela was a great Yankee and I think they got the utmost out of him I mean he probably played to his best defensive ability he'd ever shown at the major league level at third base and you know yesterday morning Aaron Boone was saying right now he's our shortstop and that wasn't going to be their best option he didn't say that second part I'm just pointing that out based on the metrics so they get a better shortstop in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, and they look toward the future, which is good to see. 
is New York going to survive without the Sanchino? You know, he is such a fun player to watch hit home runs. I know that he strikes out a lot. I understand <laughs> it all. But the excitement around him when he first came up, when he almost set the record for the fewest games played in a year when you won Rookie of the Year, uh, that belongs to William McCovey. But I believe that if Gary had won it that year when he came up in July or whatever it was, that he would have set that record. The excitement was just so much fun. The Kraken, I mean, just all of the emojis on Twitter and everything. And it's always disappointing to see something like that end. But I hope that he's able to rediscover that power, you know, in Minnesota, maybe DH a bit more and not have to worry about catching it. Just focus on the power, which he is so good at. It's just there's other things to work on. You know, the DH was always set up, you know, to have guys that could still hit, but they can't field anymore. They don't run as well. You know, really good players and a lot of future Hall of Famers. You know, you talk about Reggie Jackson, Dave Winfield, George Brett, Paul Malder, these type guys. And to now think the DH is going to be with every single team. How do you think this position, since everybody's going to have it now, is going to evolve? It's interesting. I, I do think there will be some changes. I wonder if if we'll see some teams sort of approach it, not just as having one guy, but really use it as a way to sort of, um, in a modern way, manage playing time. You know, we see American League teams often give a guy a day, but not a full day by having him DH, you know, a third baseman, a first baseman, and what have you. So I wonder if there may be teams that almost take that approach over the course of the season. A way to sort of work with a platoon and kind of keep like a reverse platoon, a defense platoon, um, and kind of keep a guy in the mix every day, even if he's not going to play defense every day. But, you know, I also think the overall stats of DHs are probably going to change just based on the fact that there are 30 now. So it's not going to be Nelson Cruz for every team. There are going to be teams where the backup second baseman is DHing some days because that's the depth they have. So overall, it may become a little bit less of an offensively charged position. But, you know, I'm excited at the fact that it could, you know, help extend some careers. I mean, you mentioned Albert Pools before, and he hasn't signed anywhere yet, and there haven't been all that many rumors about him since the lockout ended. But I do think that he has a chance to extend his career now in a way that he didn't necessarily on October 31st just because instead of there being 15 spots for him, there's 30. And if a guy like that is willing to take a small deal, which he might, I mean, he was with the Dodgers for the league minimum. You know, if he's willing to do something like that to just try to get to 700 home runs, there's going to be a team that says, yeah, we want that happening in our uniform. So, you know, it kind of helps with the sentimental side too. Maybe we'll get to see some of these power hitters for a little bit longer than we would have otherwise. How'd you feel about the expanded postseason? And would you have rather seen it go to seven teams in each league? You know, I'm excited for it. I, I just like the idea of having a lot of fan bases really engaged down the stretch. And, uh, you know, I just think it's going to be a lot of fun. 
I think there's going to be a lot of excitement with those short series. We saw it in 2020, but of course that, excuse me, that year it wasn't exactly mature design because it was a shortened season. And so we had some teams below 500 and there were some short series that went even shorter than we might have hoped. They think it will be better this year with 162 and really getting to see who these teams are. I do think that the 14 was going to be a lot. I, I think 12 sort of hits that sweet spot. I mean, you know, I'm all for more teams. I'm all for more teams being relevant longer. But I think 12 is going to be a really good, you know, ends up being a good compromise. It's going to get us some really good October baseball and some really good September baseball down the stretch. You know, the shift has been a very controversial thing. And whether you like it, you don't like it, you want to look at the numbers, I I get it. But in the end, the old eye test just wasn't great for the game. If you, if you just look at the paying customer, the paying customer didn't like it. What do you think about coming up here where we just say shift no more? So my stance with this is always that, you know, the shift has been part of the game since Ted Williams and probably before that. The original shift was the Ted Williams shift. And I do think that it kind of gets the point of, you know, are we talking about changing game rules? Are we affecting strategy? And to me, the shift is just another strategy. I do acknowledge that it has blown up lately. I mean, if you look at the percentage of shifts even two or three years ago, it is significantly up, you know, 2021 compared to 2019, 18, 17, and so on. Maybe there's a way to modify it but I think ultimately you know the game I think the game has the capacity to change itself I mean as teams place more emphasis on different kinds of hitting I think that that also has the ability to change it but I don't deny for a second what you're saying that people are not going to see a ground ball that used to be a base hit not be a base hit and people are not sitting at home and uh, expecting the same thing either. And I completely understand that frustration. So I'm not trying to be the new age stats person defending it. And for me, it just doesn't even come from the place of stats. It just comes from the idea of what is strategy versus something that deserves the rule. But I mean, I'm probably wrong and it's probably going to change. And you know, you can play this back for me at any point, and I will happily sit there and eat crow, and I do not mind. <laughs> we would never do that to you. I know, but I'm just saying, you know, I understand that I have a bit of the stat person's approach, but I just think, I mean, I don't, I also don't want to be watching a game where the umpire calls time because the guy's foot is a little bit too far over, you know? I mean, I haven't been to a minor league game where they've been uh, policing this. And I know that's starting even more this year. So maybe I'll try to get to a game to actually see how it works. But, you know, those are the type of things where I sort of cringe. It's like, oh, wait, stop. You're in the wrong place. That's a balk. You know, like, I don't know if we want to get there either. Well, I- I'm seeing, Cody, What, what what's being reported that, they are thinking about going back to extra innings with the starting with a runner on second. Yeah, I just saw that earlier. I think Jason Stark of the Athletic had it that they're 
the league and yeah. the, pub, the players association are uh, talking about bringing it back. I, but I mean, I'm good with, with or without it. I know Chris is a big fan of it. Okay, so can can, can I give you my why I love it? Please. See, I don't get to turn the game off, and I don't get to go home. I got to work after the game. So it might yeah. be great for a lot of people to be like, I don't care, and it's just the way baseball is supposed to be. But you know what? When I'm there at 1, 1 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm still on the air, I, it's miserable. And I know for a fact when people like the traditionalists, I look at them and go, man, you just don't get business. The television ratings are gone. The radio ra- the radio ratings are gone. The majority of everybody in the ballpark's gone. So when a game goes 16 innings, who's enjoying it anyway? And it just screws up your pitching staff for a week. I see no benefit to it. I, you know what, this is what I'm going to say. When we first found out about it, well, when it first got implemented in the minors, I was very excited to see how it would work. I remember going to a double-A game and the game ending in the bottom of the ninth and me being so upset because I wanted us to get to 10 so I could see this in action. And when it first started the major league level, I had a little bit of that feeling of, all right, what is this? What's going on? Is this, does this really feel like Major League Baseball to us? But I got used to it. And I have to say that I, like you, I'm working until long after that final out. And there is a practicality there. And to everyone who says we didn't get long games, I do return you to, what was it? A 15 inning game between the Dodgers and Padres last year, even with it. I mean, there was something crazy. So I am not as against it as, uh, you know, it might be expected. Let's put it that way. You know, right now with so much uncertainty and players out there and trades that could be made and it's, you know, we're, we're going to have like an off season that's going to, instead of being a full off season, it's going to be like uh, a couple weeks and, and to remake your club. And it, it's very strange, but it, it's actually a lot of fun to watch. Right now, if you had to say, you know what, I'm really interested in this team, who would that team be and why? Well, you know, there are a million answers. Well, there's 30 answers to this. But my answer is actually a team that just did something, and I promise I would have said them three hours ago also. I'm really interested in the Mariners. I am. I mean, we know Jerry Depoto was going to do something, and he just did. He got Eugenio Suarez taking on a contract that he, that he had that the Reds, I guess, were done with. And Jesse Winker is a really good player. And again, I'm sorry, I'm piling on and saying positive things about teams in your division. Oh. I sincerely apologize for that. But you know, they have the potential to be really interesting, especially with the expanded playoffs. They came so close last year. And I haven't, I mean, they and the Blue Jays, I think would have been in if, if we had that set up, um, I think, or at least one of them, but regardless, they were so close. They're really young and up and coming and they have Robbie Ray now. And, you know, I love JP Crawford. I'm excited to see what Kyle Lewis does now that he's hopefully back and healthy after some injury issues last year. So, you know, I feel like they still need a few more moves, uh, but they have the money. I mean, they could sign Chris Bryan. I'm not sure that's been talked about, but they could do that. 
Michael Conforto seemed interesting there, but I think Winker kind of uh, exhausts that. But they're an interesting team to watch for sure. All righty. We're looking forward to a uh, terrific 22 MLB season. Maybe a little rough for the A's. We're just going to be honest. But uh, we're looking forward to having you. We're looking forward to having you on through the years. You're 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 literally the best follow on Twitter. Uh, we love reading you, and we can't wait to talk to you throughout the season. Thank you so much. So good to talk with you, Sarah Langs from MLB.com. Let's go to Kylie. Kylie, how are you? Great to have you back on the program. Doing great. Thanks for having me on. You know, we, as someone who deals not only with uh, Major League Baseball and you know a lot about the minor leagues, we were just talking about, you know, so much with our fan base is talked, you know, we look at the organization and whether the organization doesn't wants to sign or not sign someone. And, and I've tried to explain it doesn't always work that way. A lot goes on to the player and his agent, too. And Matt Olson is a great example is, you know, Matt Olson, we never really heard much about you know, what does he want, how many years, what kind of price he's looking for. And when he got traded, he said all the right things. He was very vague leaving Mesa, Arizona before heading to Florida. And it was about going to the team that he grew up rooting for. Uh, But it was going to be tough to leave the A's, you know, saying all the right things, but really being generic. And in less than 24 hours, he signs an eight-year, $168 million deal, which we all know that takes some time and a lot of people have to sign off on that. So it just goes to show that we just can't just always look at the organizations. Wouldn't you say we got to look at what the players and, and the agents and what they want, because we never know the price tag until we see somebody's John Hancock on the piece of paper. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's, uh, you know, you'll have players represented by Scott Forrest, which Olsen is not, is not one of those guys. Um, but you'll see players represented by Scott Forrest, and we'll be like, oh, they're not signing extension. They're going to free agency. Like, they picked that agent because that's how they think about this, and it's, I'm going to maximize my money. This is, you know, about setting precedent, all that kind of thing. And that was, like, roughly like the Bryce Harper type situation. Um, and then other players, it's like, oh, I'll sign an extension. Like, you know, you can offer to me whatever, and, like, I'll be open to it. Just make it fair. And then other guys are somewhere in the middle where it's like, maybe I'll go to free agency if I don't get a great offer. Maybe I'd like to play for this certain team. You know, there's a lot of different versions of that um, that, that, that sort of attitude that players can have. And, you know, it would appear that Olsen realized, if I had to guess, he probably wasn't getting what he thought he was worth from Oakland, and he's from Atlanta, and it sounded like they were interested. They were about to make a decision on Freddie Freeman. And there was like a pretty clear path. We're like, oh, that could resolve itself. So let's see if we can make that happen. And it, I think it worked out like pretty well for him, all things considered, even if, you know, A's fans are not like super thrilled about it. Like this is probably something he dreamed about when he was a boy. You know, when I think about Freddie Freeman and where he was before the lockout, where he was during the lockout, and now where he is post-lockout, where it was a shrewd move by the Braves – hey, we're going younger and cheaper with Matt Olson. Rizzo, re- Rizzo re-signs with the Yankees, so that probably takes them out. I never rule anybody out. Uh, the rumors, hot rumors were Dodgers. We'll see. Supposedly the Padres have gotten into it as they want to move Hosmer and Will Myers. But at any point from the end of the lockout to where we are now, have has Freddie Freeman's camp overplayed their hand? 
I mean, that's certainly a popular narrative today, given that, you know, there's been a lot of different free agent pursuits where there's a lot of twists and turns and this team's out and then they're back in and you know, all that kind of thing. And I think, unfortunately, for the Freeman camp, when teams decided they were out, they just went and got a replacement that almost precluded them from coming back. So, like, in that way, that has played out poorly for them, whether it was due to their demands or just the teams wanted to take a cheaper option anyway. Like, I don't think the Yankees were ever going to, you know, give him $170 million or whatever would have made him sign immediately. Um, and I would also say Toronto was probably out because there was some rumor that they could sign Freddie and then move Wise Jr. over to third, but then trading for Matt Chapman kind of locks in those two corner spots. You then want to go spend, again, big on a guy after signing Galsman and Barrios and George Springer uh, and uh, Ryu. Like, they spent a lot of money sort of some, somewhat under the radar in free agency and in extensions recently. So, like, I think they're probably out after Chapman. And so then it kind of narrows things down to like there's been some reports that the Rays are interested, that Boston's interested. Both of them obviously are not looking to just wildly spend. Uh, and then the Dodgers like don't necessarily need them, but would like to have them. So you kind of wonder what their willingness is to spend wildly. Like, yeah, there's certainly enough pieces here to suggest that that may be what happened. But also all it takes is one, one, one team to sort of overpay and make it seem like this is all smart. But I will say that that sort of uh, that saying about like where things are, that was, I think, especially useful like 10 years ago when like Mike Illich could just call Scott Boris and pay for field or whatever he felt like. And that doesn't really happen anymore because I think the GMs are getting enough power. The owners are smart enough to like, you know, prudent enough financially, whether you want to call that smart or not, to not be like undercutting their own employees. It doesn't happen that often. Maybe that's happening with the Mets a little bit where it's just sort of like everyone knows Steve Cohen will spend wildly. So maybe that raises the price on some guys they're bidding on. They didn't really get great discounts on any of their players. But that largely doesn't happen that much. And so we're seeing, I think, more uh, logical prices uh, at the top of the market. All right. I want you to put your a- expert prospect hat on and 10 different guys. You know I'm always wearing that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So 10 different guys have come to Oakland now for Chapman, Olsen, and Bassett. Who do you like? Who do you go, eh? And who do you think's overrated? Who do you like in this 10-player haul that the A's have gotten in three trades? I will say I had the same response that I think a lot of people did that I was texting after the Chapman deal. That, that price ended up being a little lower than I thought it would be. And it could be that, like, I'm a little lower than Oakland is on that package of uh, players from Toronto. Or it could be there just wasn't quite as much interest uh, from other teams as you would have expected. Because I think even a year ago, Chapman would have gotten a lot more in return than he did. Um so that's the, the one of the three where it's like, ah, oh, that seems a little bit below what I was expecting. Whereas the Bassett deal, I think, is about what I was expecting. And then the Olsen deal, I think, was maybe even a little more than I thought it would be, even though it's probably fair value. Just usually at the top of the trade market, teams are so hesitant to give up top prospects. You don't always necessarily get what you should. You get what teams are willing to pay uh, in prospects. And that is, you know, less and less year by year um, because teams just like don't like trading in players. But I would, I'm actually looking at my, uh, my prospect rankings. I'm writing up right now. They could be going up in the next week on ESPN.com. I think it's like next Tuesday they'll be going up. So it's actually good that we waited this long. So now the Oakland list will be, you know, accurate unless, you know, trades happen that morning. Uh, I have Langoliers was 81st in my top 100. Christian Pache just missed it at 105. So obviously those two guys being the best of these 10, both coming in the old deal, kind of, kind of gives you an idea of, uh, of how that uh, went for Oakland. And then the next two guys are Hoglin and Ginn, who are both of the same uh, 45 future value uh, grade, which is roughly like 135 to 185 overall. So both where they could move into the top 100 with a good year. They're not that far off, especially Hoglin, who's coming off of Tommy John and may pitch this fall. So by this time next year, he could very well have made enough progress to be in the top 100. Those are the four headline guys coming out of these deals. And then I think the sort of sleeper to keep an eye on 
would be Ryan Cusick, who I know Oakland liked a lot in the first round of last year's draft out of Wake Forest. So the Braves took, uh, he was, you know, this is now the third player in the top five from that one Olsen deal. It gives you an idea of how good that package was. Uh, Cusick's issue, big guy, throws really hard up to over 100, but he had a big sort of looping curveball that he couldn't command that well. The Braves switched him over to a slider after he signed. He's throwing more strikes, and he's got really good swing and miss qualities in addition to the velocity on his fastball. So he's the kind of guy that could just slice like a hot knife through butter through the lower minor just because he can just throw 100 at the top of the zone and then, you know, kind of run into his first challenges around double A. So he might have very gaudy numbers this year as he's, you know, not challenged that much. And then we'll run into a, you know, a little more of a challenge at the upper minors. Who do you think affects the big league roster first? I think Christian Pache, I mean, you could argue that if the Braves weren't like a playoff team last year, obviously they won the World Series, but if they weren't in the playoff race all year, especially if they were like a rebuilding team that wasn't contending, there's a compelling case he should have just played the entire year in the big leagues because he's one of those guys that's in that weird nether region where he is so physically talented, he's performed pretty well at AAA, but he hasn't performed in the big leagues, and so he like needs to face big league pitching to make progress. He can't really improve that much in AAA anymore. And sometimes we see those guys not work out. Like Lewis Brinson is a prominent example where he's like too physically talented to not succeed at AAA, but then hasn't been able to figure out the big league level. I don't think Pache is anywhere near that level of issues at the plate and also is a much better defender. So his floor is basically to be Kevin Pillar, like a defensive oriented everyday center fielder. And I think he might be that right now. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of scenarios where he should just play the entire year in the big leagues, whereas Langoliers, you know, probably spends a little bit of time in AAA. You know, obviously as a catcher, you don't want to bring him up and play him not that often. Uh, Hoglin will need the whole year uh, to recover. Ginn will probably spend the entire year in the minors, maybe like a September call-up. Uh, and then a couple of the guys, I guess the other three players from the Toronto uh, deal with Chapman, uh, Logue, uh, Kevin Smith, and Kirby Snead are all pretty close and could reasonably come up, but I don't think they're like impact guys right away. So everybody had the A's really low when it came to ranking the farm system. I mean, anywhere from 30, 29, 28, right around in that range. With these new 10 guys coming into the organization, how much does this vault them up the list? So I've got them right now. I have a sort of an auto-updating list. So I guess that's very convenient for this question. Uh, Coming into this stuff. So before there were any trades, I had them 28th, uh, which, which is obviously third from last. And, uh, the, I mean, the two teams below them were well below them, so it's sort of like their own tier, 29th and 30th. Uh, and then they're sort of in like a, I don't know, like a five-way tie in the 20s. They just happen to end up at 28th at the back of that group. Uh, right now I have them at 21st, uh, but they are now in, a, in like a very long, meaty middle where like one – I mean, one more trade. They'd probably have two more trades if I had to guess between uh, – uh, Manaya and Montos. Uh, but they're like one fringe top 100 prospect from being like 14th or 15th. And if they were able to get one of those level guys from both trades and get two of them, uh, then they might be like knocking on the door of the top 10, might even break into the top 10. So they're like at the point where they're technically 21st, but like they're not that far away from being 10th or so. And I think also in these sorts of situations where there's been whatever you want to call it, a teardown or rebuild, reload, however you want to term it, uh, there's been a lot of instances where teams start in the 20s and then, you know, work their way into the middle uh, about like Oakland is now. And then all of a sudden you add a July 2 class, uh, you add a draft class, maybe add a couple guys at the deadline, maybe some guys improve throughout the year, and all of a sudden you end up like 7th or 8th, and you go from 28th to 8th in like less than a season essentially. So I think they're on a trajectory to do something like that, which again, if you're a lower payroll team that's reloading, you need to have top 10 level of talent and preferably closer to the big leagues 
to be able to like have that really impact the team and sort of change your outlook, which is why they have to, you know, take take such drastic action in terms of trading all these veterans to kind of make this work. Well, what's so interesting about really all professional sports is that father time's never going to lose with athletes. We're dealing with human beings. At some point, guys get older, guys change. And when you're making any type of run, you're going to have to use what you have in the minor leagues to help keep that run going. And then all of a sudden, once your players get old and you can only sign so many free agents and you have really no one in the minor league system, you kind of get in a rut. And Hal Steinbrenner of the Yankees recently brought up saying that, you know, in the industry, you should always be trying to win. But we see it could be the NBA, it could be hockey, NFL, Major League Baseball. If you had a we're winning every single year mentality in the way that these sports are set up with their CBAs, since we've talked a lot about CBAs, um, is that really a possible thing to really do long term is to try and win every single year? I mean, this has been, I think, a very uh, interesting conversation to have, especially in the last 10 years in baseball, where it went from almost every front office was, you know, guys that largely like played pro ball, maybe didn't go to college or sort of old, old school scouts. And then obviously Moneyball comes along and, you know, throws a wrench into that. And then eventually we got to the point, especially when Jeff Lou now took over in Houston, where it was like overwhelmingly not former ball players, uh, guys that went to Ivy League scu- uh, schools, guys that worked for like investment banks and consultancies and things like that. And I think we probably swung too far as an industry. I remember when I was starting out, I was interning with the Yankees and I was making these arguments like, hey, we should have like a dollar value next to every player. So it's easier to compare a 15 year old we're about to sign in the Dominican to a 28 year old on our big league team, because like currently we're not thinking about this correctly. And then there's like a vein of that that like is now decried around all of baseball because it's like you're putting a dollar value on a person. Like a person is not a widget that's worth an amount of money. But like it was so backward back then like having a logical conversation about how good a player was, was all based in emotion. And so you had to bring in some monetary values to like have a reasonable conversation. It's now got to the point where it's like, Oh, well this player will make us better and give us a better chance to make the playoffs. And then the front office guy will be like, well, yeah, but if we keep him down for two weeks, we get him for an extra year. And that's worth $18.2 million according to our formula. And it's like, okay, we're now actively trying to not win as much so that we can win like the, the service time Olympics. And that was, I think, like the sign when things had gone too far, like instead of having a logical conversation and using numbers and maybe outweighing some of the emotion, it's now like, oh, there should be a little more emotion involved. <laughs> like we should think about what the fans want and like how good the team should be. And this, while all this is happening in baseball, obviously in other sports with the process of the Sixers, you've seen versions of it where I think some fans have been brainwashed to think like, oh, we're winning this imaginary thing that doesn't matter. Like a number one farm system is great. It actually doesn't matter. Like if the players are all bad, and you know you don't you don't figure out a way to make them make the good make the big league team good. It's totally useless. It's like a made up thing. Granted, it's like a big part of my life, and I write about it a lot. But it alone means nothing because it might not add up to anything. It usually does, and that's why we put value on it. But like that alone doesn't make that big of a deal. Like if the top five guys in the A system all become all stars, like they're obviously not the twenty first farm system. But like my guess right now is they're the twenty first strength farm system. Um, so I think this is important to have this conversation because I think so often, whether it's on Twitter or talk radio or, or you know, people shouting at each other on my TV network, uh, people skip that sort of preamble part about how we got here and what this means and what actually is important and just come from one of those two points of view and just act like the other one doesn't exist or has no valid uh, arguments. And in reality, they both matter. And I think we're now sort of getting to a point where people can realize that they both matter and sort of consider both. All right. Take us back. 
to your Yankee days. And it kind of reminds me of the scenes of Moneyball. When you're sitting at a table and you're having, you know, the discussion with everybody and you're bringing up ideas that people aren't used to, people aren't comfortable with, what was that like? I was also the least paid and lowest ranked person in the room, so they generally just ignored me. <laughs> Which, to be fair, like most of the people in that room have been working in baseball full time for like 30 years, and most of them had played in at least the upper minors, if not the big leagues. And I was just like some pimply faced kid that was still in college, like, you know, tossing out some ideas. And like whether the ideas were good or not was sort of irrelevant. Like I had no standing in that room and no reason for them to believe me. And in that room, so many people like me had walked in with bad ideas, and including me. Like, I had also had some bad ideas then. Um, like, I still have some of the guys that work with me then I'll see at games, and they'll be like, remember when you were arguing that, like, we shouldn't have drafted, you know, Ian Kennedy that year, and instead of should have taken, and then, you know, named some David Huff, whoever it was that I thought was better than Ian Kennedy. And it's like, obviously, Ian Kennedy's still playing now. And, like, you know, David Huff, like, barely made the big leagues. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had some really bad ideas back then, in addition to some good ideas. And that's, I mean, I worked for four teams, and there's been versions of, like, there's still arguments that I remember uh, where I was, it sounded like I came from the future to, like, explain something to someone, and it turned out to be perfectly right. In the moment, I didn't know I was right. It was just like, well, this seems like something I should bring up. And then I was completely sure about something that ended up being wildly incorrect. Like, it's, you know, I'm sure everyone can sympathize with this in their, you know, whether it's their sports betting or their fantasy team or something they bring up at work. Like, you have good ideas and bad ideas. You think back about them, and some of them are embarrassing, and some of them aren't. And it all just sort of makes sense, and you just get a little better day by day. And that's also how, like, my online career has been. It's, you know, sometimes people point out that, like, when he hadn't played in low A yet, I was saying that Ronald Acuna and then two years later, Ozzy Albee, like, should be top prospects in baseball. People remember those. They don't remember that I, like, soured on Gary Sanchez right before he won Rookie of the Year because that's, I don't know, just not doesn't seem like that uh, important of a data point because I was on him for five years before that. But, like, you know, luckily people forget that I was kind of wrong about it for a few months there, and then everyone forgot about it. And, you know, that's. I bet if you had a GM on here talking about this stuff, they'd talk about some dumb stuff they did when they were just starting out. And then some really interesting things that they've, you know, done in recent years that everyone writes about. And they just, you know, nobody found out about the dumb stuff they, they did. You know, we're, when you look at where we are now with data, everybody has their version, but everybody has it, right? This isn't like Moneyball and the A's have found something and everybody is looking under every rock. Everybody's got a metric. Everybody's, they've got something that they use to evaluate players, but yet some teams are good. Some teams are bad. So where do you think we are with basically the science and the data and everything that goes in from the high-speed cameras and Rapsodos and Hawkeye to TrackMan to all the stuff we're looking at with Major League Baseball. Where are we now with all this since everybody's using it? Sure. This reminds me of a conversation from the uh, HBO show with Ricky Gervais, Extras, and like in, I don't know, like the third season, eventually somebody points out to him, because he's basically trying to become like a star actor. And somebody that is a star actor that is very respected comes up to him and says, you can either be good and famous or you can be respected. And almost no one gets to be both. Like you get to be one or the other. Like which one do you want to be? And he just sort of like sighs and he's like, I'd rather be famous. And so then he goes and does just like terrible shows that makes a bunch of money and everybody knows his name and wants him to do the, uh, the catchphrases and all that kind of stuff. And this reminds me of like how it works with baseball teams, which is if you're not the Rays, maybe the Dodgers, maybe a couple other teams, but it's like a maximum of five teams. In reality, it's probably more like two or three teams. 
if you're good enough to run the one of the lowest payrolls in baseball and have perennially make the playoffs and perennially have one of the best farm systems in baseball like Tampa Bay does, uh, you have to pick one or the other. Do you want to win this year or do you want to kind of compete for the rest of time? Like you can either be really good for like a short window, like Kansas City is a great example. Like they spent more money than they probably could afford. They moved all their chips into the middle. They were good for like three years. They won a World Series and made another one. It worked out fantastically more than they could have expected. And then they were terrible right after. <laughs> and like that's kind of your choice. And like the Marlins, another good example. Like they like built a farm system. They got everybody up. They then bought a bunch of players they couldn't really afford. They won a World Series. They then got rid of all their players. And it's like a real roller coaster for fans. We're like, all right, you won a World Series and you had some good players. And like Jose Fernandez played here and you know, you have a bunch of things you can hang your hat on, or you could just sort of be like, I don't know, like the Cincinnati Reds are, where it's like, you know, maybe they make the first round of the playoffs and they miss it for a few years and they tear it down and they kind of make the playoffs and they're just sort of, you know, mediocre going back and forth for a long time. Uh, that's kind of the choice you have, unless you're one of those rare fans where you get to be rooting for Alabama football or the Tampa Bay Rays or the Los Angeles Dodgers. Like, there's just a handful of teams, you know, the Patriots for a while. Like, there's examples where it can happen. But, like, that is not the standard. Like, you have to look at, like, what Baltimore is doing with a bunch of guys that used to work for the Astros. And they're like, what we did worked, but it was because we were intentionally terrible and spent no money, and then we got good enough that it mattered. And that's what they're doing in Baltimore again. And I think it might work, especially if they were in a different division, have a better chance of working. But, like, they think that's the only way they can succeed. And I can't tell them they're wrong, because, like, that's probably the only way they're going to succeed. But I think the fans want to believe, like, hey, try to be the race. Like, try to replicate what they're doing and see if you're good enough. But this is like a, you know, it's, it's a higher probability chance that you're good one year is by just being bad for a couple of years. Yeah, the Rays are really a great, well, they're never going to be rich and famous, but they are going to be respected. But I do like that analogy where, yeah, you can be the guy doing the cheesy commercials and the cheesy sitcom and make a bazillion dollars. But can you be respected? Okay, so what is it? So if everybody has the ability to have everybody has the ability to be the smartest guy in the room. I guess is the way I want to put it. Everybody can have all the analytics, all the science. You can get into neuroscience and how people's brains work. You can have all of that in front of you. You have the best doctors, the best care. Why do the Rays do it better than everybody else? Why do they use the information everybody else can have, but they do it better? So I grew up in Tampa, and they were like the first team I had contact with. Like, Hein Bloom was the first person to ever, like, sit down and talk to me when I was in college trying to, you know, get jobs at teams and stuff. And I've known a lot of their guys for a long time. And I've asked this question. There's been multiple times in the past where, you know, like, people think the Yankees have figured out arm actions because every single guy in their whole farm system is 95 plus, even though they weren't throwing that hard when they drafted them. And people think they have a secret. And you go ask some of the guys, you know, I worked for the Yankees, grew up in Tampa where all their stuff is based. And you kind of get these guys alone and you're just sort of like, what am I missing here? Like, do you, like don't, you don't tell me what the secret is, but do you guys have a secret? And they'll be like, no. The secret is like our scouts and our player development coaches and our front office guys are all speaking the same language, looking at the same metrics. Everyone's pulling in the same direction and we're all trying. And it turns out only like four teams are actually doing that at once. So it makes it seem like we have some sort of like silver bullet of how to like make everyone throw 100. And when you talk to the Rays guys, and like I know them well enough to know like if there's a secret, they'll be like, there's a secret we're just not telling you. Like, these guys have all been hired. Like, they're, you know, either the number one or number two of, like, six different teams right now. Like, they've spread out. And all these teams are doing well, but they obviously don't have – they're not doing it the exact same way. And when you talk to them, they're just like, yeah, the secret is, like, we're all generally nice people that try hard and try to treat people well and hire the right people, and we're not whole hog into numbers. We're not whole hog into scouting. We consider both. We try to do a job of balancing both of those. 
sometimes people internally think we listen too much to one or the other, but we think we do a pretty good job. You know, the results speak for themselves. And if you look at like, you know, even just like their draft history, it's like they'll take high school pitchers, they'll take injured guys, they'll take college bats, they'll be, you know, boring, they'll be exciting. Like they kind of do everything. It doesn't seem like there's one thing they're beating everyone at. Like they have some giant secret. And I think that's like, you know, kind of the secret in whatever industry. I don't think this is limited just to baseball teams. It's like when people seem to have a secret for something, unless it's like a heavily like tech dependent or software based company, or like, you know, they're making better and faster and better widgets at their factory. They probably didn't like figure out some scientific breakthrough. They're probably just doing like 3% better than everybody else at everything. And everybody's got, you know, good vibes and likes the place they work. Like that's probably what the answer is. And I think that's probably what the answer is here. And like a, a, a good company, even though you have the right formula or whatever your technology is, that you have to be able to adapt. And the rules change, people change, business changes. And whatever the rules are, the Rays figure out a way to make the rules work for them. And, you know, sometimes businesses get get left behind. And I guess you could say this in baseball, too, that organizations get left behind because they're not very flexible in their thinking. Yeah, I would say if you could go to, and you saw a little bit of this with Billy Bean in like the wake of Moneyball, but if you could go to an executive and say, you can either have like, if you were to rank like all 30 GMs, you can be number one at like adaptability, like adjusting on the fly and figuring stuff out faster than other people can. Or I can tell you a secret nobody knows right now. Which one do you want? They would all choose adaptability because like, even if you know a secret nobody else knows and nobody else figures it out, they can look at the kind of players you're signing and kind of figure out what it is or hire one of your people or they can kind of triangulate what it is. Within a couple of years, you're going to lose that edge or lose enough of it that, you know, it won't be quite as important. Whereas the adaptability, it's just like whenever something happens, you figure it out before everybody else. And maybe it only lasts for six months, but you're consistently getting those edges. That's the thing that matters. And I think I have the luxury of not being in a front office, at least not now. And so I'm not thinking about that stuff and just like, well, who do we sign? Like, where's the workout tomorrow? Like, who, you know, who's the decision on the trade? Like that, I don't think I had like very incisive thoughts when I was in that world because you're like too lost in, inside the trees. You can't take a step back and look at the whole forest. And I think a lot of these teams that are very successful, they're able to step outside of the situation they're in. And instead of thinking about like, where am I flying tomorrow? Who am I going to see? All the stuff that kind of bogs you down. They're able to take a step back and just be like, all right, what type of player should we be drafting? And what type of player are those people over or underrating? Like what type of player are we better at evaluating than other people? Let's put ourselves in a position to succeed and make sure nobody's getting overworked and everyone feels taken care of and has some autonomy. And like all that stuff, that stuff's way more important than like, having an idea nobody else has right now because that stuff's kind of fleeting in like the long view of like since Moneyball that's like 25 years it's like there's been 37 original ideas that no one had thought of or that you had an edge on that have evaporated since then but like being adaptable would be like a huge factor that entire time I could listen to you all day you're fabulous <laughs> well I just had a second cup of coffee so I think I'm just really firing <laughs> it all cylinders right now hey you are the best well well so when is your organizational rankings coming out so the org rankings went up like two weeks ago and they've they've changed dramatically since then especially for a couple of teams in yeah. Oakland but my the individual like one through 30 for each team with the reports and all that stuff will be going up on the 22nd and 23rd and I'll have the updated org rankings uh, like you know Oakland being 21st or whatever they end up being I'll have that on there so you'll you'll get a, an updated org ranking along with all the team reports and all that sort of stuff uh, and I don't know what day that is but that's at some point next week love it let's talk soon yep thanks for having me on yeah, Kylie is uh, Kylie is phenomenal. Melissa, how are you? It's been a while. 
Yeah, it has. We got baseball back. Yeah, we've all emerged from our rock uh, since the lockout, which has been nice. It's like we're like hobbits that like came out and there's the sunshine. It's like, oh, thank God we got baseball. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can. That's back. Basically, last Thursday was the morning was dark and then the afternoon was bright. It was amazing the difference and just agreeing to it and knowing that this was coming back. And even if there were trades coming and everything else, we still had baseball. Yeah, and I was just talking about, and I want to get your opinion on it because we love talking to you about the A's, but we also love talking to you about everything baseball, is it's easy to sit here and criticize, and it looks like players are just doing a money grab. If you're talking about, I don't know, let's talk about Seager and, and Marcus in Texas, now Chris Bryant in Colorado. You know, whether it's a rumor uh, or it's true about Correa could be going to Baltimore, but – it's the bad teams that have cleared a lot of uh, – I, I don't want to say cap space because we don't have a cap, but that's how we talk about in other sports. But they've cleared, sure. a lot, they've cleared a lot of room with their finances, and it's the bad teams that have a lot of money to spend. So maybe we shouldn't be shocked that guys are signing with the Rangers or the Rockies or, or the Orioles because those teams are ready now to put out some big – contracts and change the culture of their organizations what do you think about that yeah i mean you know here's the thing right they're not signing one-year deals so you're not looking at it as being like if they're not good in 2022 they're never going to be good over the life of the contract and i think if you're carlos correa in particular and you're going to sign an eight-year or a 10-year deal or something um, you know, it, it's not going to matter exactly that 2022 might not be the best year. I think a good example of that might have been Manny Machado, right, when he went from Baltimore to San Diego. Um, and you look at San Diego now, but it wasn't like that when he went. So, um, you know, these things change. And Baltimore has been good before. And they've got a lot of really great young players coming up. And there's no reason to think they can't be good again. And, you know, he's 27 years old, Carlos Correa. So if you're going to build around somebody – it would make sense to do that. So, yeah, I, I think we it's a sort of a weird thing when we criticize teams for not spending and then we criticize players for signing with teams that are not good immediately because they were willing to spend. You know, like I think teams should spend. And if, Car if Chris Bryant wants to be in Colorado and he believes in their long-term future, there's no reason he shouldn't uh, go ahead and sign that contract there. Yeah, he called Mike Hampton and uh, wanted to talk about the school districts there. In, uh, in, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good for him. He seems like a good guy, and he got his money, and uh, Denver's beautiful. So uh, good luck to him. You know, looking at the A's, uh, this morning when I was watching MLB Network, they were talking about – uh, Frankie Montas and Sean Mania and talked and they talked about them being almost a package deal in some of the rumors and I just thought to myself is there really an organization out there that has enough really good prospects that you could package these guys to one place and really get the value for these two guys do you think that's possible surprised i mean i you know anything's possible right like they were talking to you know apparently detroit and certainly they've got two of the five best prospects in, in baseball but i don't think those guys are on the table regardless of whether you're sending two or uh or one of those guys you know that direction um 
I, I would think maximizing value would involve them going in separate directions. Uh, you know, you could have looked at maybe packaging, you know, one of the maps and a picture and a big deal. And I could see maybe something like that kind of coming together a little bit better. But pitching is such a hot commodity. You know, you look at like even Chris Bassett at his age with one year left on his deal, you know, he returned a pretty strong return. Uh, it, it, you just see how valuable pitching is in the league. Uh, I'd be surprised if they went the same place, but you know, you never know. Yeah, we will see. And it just goes to show throughout our entire lives and well after our careers, Melissa, pitching, you just never have enough. Cause I went over it earlier. If you look at the track record, the last couple of years for both Frankie and Sean, you know, Sean, obviously, with the shoulder issues, Frankie with the PED suspension. I mean, it's not like, you know, you're out there trading two guys that have Cy Young Awards and multiple All-Stars and maybe World Series, but people are so desperate. You can even say the murky last certain things in the last three years are just overlooked because how desperate everybody is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one advantage the A's have had is that, you know, playing where they play and having the infrastructure that they do with Scott Emerson, you know, down and building pitching staffs is that they're able to develop these kinds of, of pitching. You know, I hate the word assets because these are people, but like, you know, the <laughs> idea that you build up somebody and they become valuable, uh, you know, either to your team specifically or as a trade chip. Um, and they've shown they can do that with pitching fairly easily. You know, I, when I, we had talked, I think, uh, many, many months ago uh, about like how you might approach this off season, you know, that's why I was a little more hesitant in thinking that they should trade the mats because they haven't necessarily shown that they can develop that level of player as easily as they can the pitchers, you know, um, but the pitching has always been something that they've been able to develop pretty quickly I think it wouldn't be shocking if they had a pretty solid pitching staff even if they trade those guys this year at least in the starting rotation because they have some talented guys coming in and they've been able to get a lot out of you know players that people maybe haven't heard a lot about until they get here um so I mean I think that's a well that they've dipped into and they've had a lot of success with and uh the rest of the league hasn't always had that same success well, we wanted to save you for a couple days after the trades to let you dissect all three. So tell me what you really like, whether it's out of Olsen, Chapman, or Bassett trade. Which players do you really have your eye on that say this guy could really help the A's in the future? Yeah, well, I mean, in, we're talking about pitching, and that certainly had been an area in the minor league system that had thinned out quite a bit over the last couple of years. You know, they had graduated some guys, some guys that had injuries that had really stalled out their development or, um, you know, had resulted like with A.J. Puck or, or, or Jesus Lizardo, a different career path than maybe you would have projected. So um, they've really restocked that starting pitching uh, pipeline. You know, I think it's as good now as it was, at the height of having, you know, AJ and, and Jesus as younger prospects. And um, they've got velocity back, which I think is something they haven't always had in their system. And I think it's going to, you know, it's obviously become increasingly important uh, in the big leagues. And I think it's going to be something that's really fun for, uh, you know, the pitching development group to work with. So, I, you know, I really liked that. I liked the depth of the pitching that they got. Um, the Braves package, I mean, you know, that was a very impressive haul of talent. You could tell that they were, making that deal with the idea they were going to be keeping Matt Olson around for a long time. So, uh, you know, they gave up three positions, I mean, three players that 
um, are legitimately could be, you know, top 100 prospects. And, um, you know, Ryan Kusek, he, he went right before Max Muncy in the draft, and he's a guy that they had scouted pretty, um, you know, heavily down out of Wake Forest coming into the draft last year. Uh, obviously, Christian Pache, he, you know, he could be the center fielder this year, depending on where the bat is, but the glove is already really special. And um, in, in the Coliseum, having someone who can run down a lot of balls in center field is, you know, pretty important. And then Shay Langoliers, I mean, you know, you look at Sean Murphy and everything he brings to an organization and that's what Shay also brings. And so whether they have both of them together or do something in the future with one or the other, you know, remains to be seen, but the value of having someone like that is pretty exciting. Yeah. And that's a question. I know a few people have thrown at me. It's like, well, if they went out and got this guy Langoliers, does that mean Sean Murphy's going to go anytime soon? Uh, do you think getting Langoliers has anything to do with Sean Murph- Murphy's future? Murph has many, many years under team control. Yeah, I mean, you know, people talked about Murphy as a possible trade chip uh, early on, and I, I was surprised to even hear that because he is so far away from being even, you know, close to free agency or in, you know, still pretty far away from arbitration, relatively speaking. Um it, you know, again, catching like pitching is so valuable that if you get the right deal um, and you now have Shailene Williers, it certainly makes it easier to trade Sean Murphy. But at the same time, you know, they didn't have any depth past Sean Murphy, really. You know, so, um, I mean, Austin Allen, I think, had a really nice year in Las Vegas, but they didn't give him much time in, in the big league level last year. So that, that's probably fairly telling in terms of what they think about, you know, what he can contribute long term for them. And then beyond that, the, the, the catching really falls off, um, you know, with the exception of Tyler Soderstrom, who is, you know, still several years away from the big leagues and may not even stay at catcher. So, you know, I think that um, it, it addressed an area of depth need anyway. Um, but if the right deal came around for a Sean Murphy, now you have a, a much more legitimate replacement than you would have before. I know this isn't going to be easy. Let's just act like, Sean Murphy, excuse me, Sean Manai and Frankie Montas are traded. They're traded for prospects who are not ready for the big leagues. If that's the case, and you had to just pull it out of a hat and guess, who would be the starting five in the rotation? Yeah, I mean, part of it depends on health, right? Like you're looking at James Capillion not being maybe ready for opening day, and certainly he would be a name I'd put in there. Um if, you know, AJ Puck's the same thing. If they think he can stretch out and be a starter, um, you know, that's certainly there. But, you know, I think Adam Aller, who they was the pitcher besides JT Jim, uh, again, that they got in the Chris Bassett deal, he's ready for the big leagues. He had a huge year in the Mets organization last year. Um, Brett Honeywell is going to pitch today. You know, he's a guy that was one of the top starting pitching prospects in all of baseball before his arm just blew up on him. Um, but if he's, you know, anywhere close to where he was before, he's certainly worth a look and he's out of options. So they're going to give him as many looks as they can possibly give him. I think obviously Cole Irwin, you know, earned that right to be in, in the rotation. I think last year, Dalton Jeffries, if, he, if he's healthy, certainly looks like he'd be in there. Um, so, you know, those are all kind of the names that you'd be looking at. Um, you know, Brian Howard had a really nice year in AAA last year. I think um, <clears throat> the ERAs being what they are in Las Vegas kind of inflates that because his home ERA was a lot higher than his road ERA. But, you know, the road ERA, there's some tough parts to pitch in there, and it was pretty impressive. And so um, you might see him. Parker Dunchy's another guy that 
that you could see come up. Um, they signed Ryan Castellini, who's had some big league starting experience. So there, there's a bunch of guys you probably see kind of turn through. Uh, no idea who the opening day starter would be in a scenario like that, but um, you know that they, they certainly have options that they can can look at for this uh, year if, if those guys are traded. Yeah, if Caprellian is not able to go first week. Really, I mean, you're talking about Aller. Oh, well, Cole Irvin, I think, will be the opening day, which is hard to believe in. Cody, you're calling it the uh, – Cole, Cole Irvin revenge series against re- Philly. They re- against, right. against his yeah. old team. So, you got Irvin, Aller, Honeywell, Jeffries. That would be four. We're talking about if Cap can't go, right? So, right. then after that, the fifth is just uh, flip the coin. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's like everybody in camp, you know, A.J. Puck is still the most talented. Blackburn, them, right? maybe? So, yeah, Black, yeah, Blackburn, yeah, I forgot he's, <laughs> I forgot he's still there. He certainly, <laughs> um, you know, is a guy who brings back. Um, I mean, you know, that's right. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, they, they tend to get these kind of anonymous guys that kind of come up there and suddenly are like, you know, above average pitchers like Cole Irvin was last year. So, um you know, Grant Holmes, I, I think, had a disastrous year last year in, in, in AAA, but they feel better about that. Um, Zach Loge, the uh, lefty from Toronto, um, you know, he's a starter. I think some people thought, oh, he'll go right to the bullpen, but he's like a crafty lefty type um, that, you know, is similar to Irwin probably in, in a lot of ways. Um, so he, he's another one that I think will fight for, for innings as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is kind of a mix. That, that said, there aren't a lot of teams that you get to the fifth person in their rotation at this point, and you're like, for sure, this is the guy that we're going to go with, right? Like, that's kind of around the league is not super uncommon. So, um, But it, it's definitely lost a lot of its veteran cachet and, and star power without those two guys. Okay, so one of the main problems last year was velocity in the bullpen. And mm-hmm. the A's starters, they led Major League Baseball in innings pitched last year. Obviously, that's not going to happen this year. Uh, other than Lou Trevino, where, and I don't know, maybe A.J. Puck ends up back in the bullpen. That gives you some velocity. Have they really added any velocity that could help? I, You know, in the future, who knows with the relievers. I'm talking about this season. They're going to get a lot of innings out of the bullpen. Have they added anybody that can really bring it? Yeah, well, uh, Kirby Sneed, who was actually AJ's teammate at Florida, was um, the second left-hander that was in that Blue Jay seal for Ben Chapman. Um, and he, he's not like a 100-mile-an-hour guy, but he's a mid-90s guy from the left side. Um, certainly would not be considered a finesse reliever. And, uh, you know, he made a nice seven-inning debut with the Blue Jays last year, has a long track record in the minor leagues of being – an effective reliever. So um, I think he'll get a very long look in the big league bullpen and it certainly brings a little more juice. Um, you know, I think Wanderson Charles was a guy they didn't see at all last year because of injury, which was a shame, but you know, he's a hundred miles an hour um, flamethrower and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what he looks like when, um, you know, camp and we start to see him because command was always his big thing and we haven't really seen him in a year, but if he's throwing strikes or close enough to strikes that people will swing at it, you know, he's got that fastball breaking ball combination that, you know, is what you look for. Uh, non-roster, you know, they brought back Danny Jimenez and I think there's a very good chance he makes the team. 
Um, he was a rule five pick last year that in a different scenario, I think probably would have stuck, but they had brought in enough veteran arms that there wasn't really room for him. Um, but he went back to Toronto after not making the team and had an outstanding year in AAA. Uh, so, you know, he's certainly another one that, that would bring some, you know, velocity there. Zach Jackson's a very deceptive guy from in AAA who I think would have joined the bullpen last season when they were starting to have all their breakdowns, but he had a hip injury. Um, you know, he can get in that mid-90s uh, slot, and he's also very hard to pick up, so a lot of swing and miss. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, the 100 miles an hour all the time sort of look that you see from a lot of other teams, but there is a little more velocity there than last year. You know, one of the problems with what we're having, and I just look at the schedule as we start – A's baseball coming up here at 105 and we end on April 5th. I mean, there's not a lot of whole, it's not a lot of time for guys to earn jobs and to impress the manager in the front office and games and, you know, all the split squads and backfield stuff. I mean, this is going to be a really quick sprint to the start of the season. So I think about the A's versatility, as much as we're going to look to the future, we still, I, at least I do every night, I got to talk about the team on the field. And I think about Pender and I think about Kemp and I think about Machine and I, you know, obviously Kevin Smith who come over, comes over from the Blue Jays, he's got the ability to third, short, second, just how important is it going to be for this team? Maybe Nick Allen too, a short second base, just in the infield versatility is all over the place. And that hopefully can be a strength. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you look at Sheldon noisy was brought back as well um, on a minor league or, or he was picked at claimed off waivers. And, uh, you know, he, he can play third base and second base quite well. And then is, uh, you know, was the shortstop, to start with so can certainly be an emergency guy there as, as well uh they brought back billy mckinney <laughs> we're, we're replaying all the hits um but you know he he's first base and can play all three outfield spots as well so i mean i think versatility in general around baseball has become uh, you know one of the most important things you can have if you're a position player jonah bride is one of my absolute favorite prospects and uh, you know, they just asked him at the end of last season to learn how to catch. And he went and learned how to catch, caught in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, he's been working out, catching big leaders, you know, during um, the lockdown. And he's going to get a long look. But, you know, he's a third baseman, second baseman, first baseman, and quite good at all those positions who can catch now. And that's kind of cool. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of different things. Mickey McDonald, who was added as a, a non-roster invitee, is probably one of the better defensive outfielders that you can see um but he played a little bit of third base in, in college and they asked him to do that in vegas last year and he looked good so you know he's another one that the versatility is something that i think will be really important max schumann's a, a super fast shortstop that stole over 50 bases last year who they threw out in center field at the end of last season and was able to handle that i think you'll probably see a little bit of him this season as well um, so the, the ability to move around, the ability to stay on the field and be healthy, I think are two of the most important things if you're a position player in the big leagues anywhere now. And certainly, you know, I think it'll help the A's quite a bit. Yeah, the athletic is a, is, it's a great resource for all sports. And it really shows you that we can still do quality journalism. And your Jonah Bride article that you did in the athletic during the lockout was very good. And it just was so telling, like you're scratching your head going, oh, my God, what, what, what's the big club going to look like? We've talked about the infield. 
you think about the outfield without with without Ramon Laureano for what the first 27 games uh first couple of games how, how you see in the outfield yeah you know I think before these trades I was a little bit of a question as to what would they do in center field you obviously have Sky Bolt you have Luis Ferreira um it sounds like Cody Thomas won't be available to start the year which is a shame but um you know, there were some options there. Buddy Reed is back as a, a non-roster invitee, and if he can stay healthy, got to see a little bit of what he could do last spring. Um, but I think it was going to be a really big kind of question mark. And then they acquired Pache, and I think it's a question of whether they think his bat's ready now or whether he needs to do more in AAA. Um, but, you know, the the defense is already going to be there, and so – if they would rather he work with Tommy Everidge at the big league level on his hitting as opposed to going to AAA and working on it there, um, you know, that you may see him out there, even if the hitting's going to um, not match up right away because the defense already can. Uh, so, you know, I think there's, and then you, you look at Steven Piscotti, obviously the health is always the big question for him, but if he's healthy, he probably gets a decent number of the reps in right field. And then, you know, you look at Pender and Brown, um, whether they're, playing out in left field or whether Brown is, is playing a lot of first base, I think remains to be seen, but um, he, that's a pretty solid platoon probably from a power perspective anyway, if, if you get to that point. And obviously Kemp and uh, Machine can play a little bit out there as well. Well, if there's anywhere in the world I would like to go work on my hitting, that would be down with Fran Reardon and the Vegas Bombers because uh, you go down there and uh, everybody's Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig down there. Right. Well, I think that's sometimes the danger. <laughs> you have to decide whether you think that would be productive or whether you think they'd be learning the wrong things. But, um, you know, I think Tommy did such a great job with the hitters down there and getting them to still focus on what was important to know how to do that would translate when you got to a normal hitting environment that I think that, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he's going to be in almost a development type position, even at a big league level now. Um, so a lot of what he was able to successfully do with those hitters in AAA, um, I think will really translate over, uh, you know, to this younger big league, uh, roster that he's got in front of him. So, um, yeah, but it's, you know, the pitchers, they, they shrink from it and the hitters, they love it. So it, it's a definitely a different environment. So whenever we're in a situation where the team is making a transition, we as the people who cover the ball club, we have to make our transitions too. And, you know, past couple of years, we focused on winning the division and winning 95-plus games. And, you know, past couple of years, we talked about, hey, you might need to win a win 100 to win the division to get out of the wild card. Now we're going to transition, obviously, because – I just that's it's it's the only fair deal. And I've been talking about, you know, finding the blue the blueprint for the future starts today at one oh five for the A's. The new journey, the new voyage starts today under Mark Kotze, who I think now is the perfect uh, fit as a guy for a shortened, you know, you lose Bob Melvin, you lose a guy that's been your leader. You get Mark Kotze, who's been around all these young players. He's been around everybody in the minor league system. He's so familiar with the front office, not just because of when he played, but all the work he's done with Bob and the staff and the shortened spring. You know, if you brought in a new guy, I don't know how he would gain the trust or start these relationships in such a short time. It's like Bob's out, Mark's in, all good. But, you know, what's the number one thing 
And it's early, obviously, with the first spring training game. But what's the number one thing you're looking forward to this season to help build that blueprint to get back to the postseason? Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it is finding identity, you know, finding what is the next A's group going to look like. I think the identity of the last one was, you know, surrounding the mats and, you know, these long at-bats, a lot of power, maybe not necessarily hitting for a lot of average, but, you know, really able to, to grind out those long at-bats and then great defense on the corners. Um, and the pitching, the starting pitching really ruled the day. Um, you know, what will be the next identity? I think it's pretty clear from the guys that they uh, acquired. You know, Smith, Langoliers, and Pache are all well-known for their defense, um, and then they went after pitching. And so I think pitching and defense are probably going to be, you know, the mainstays of what this new look is going to be for, for the A's. And I think, you know, we've always talked about it, and people laugh, oh, it's, you know, are the A's going to – are the athletics going to be athletic again? You know, like – but I do think that you've seen a trend towards that kind of player being, you know, what they've targeted in the draft, what they've targeted in trades. And, uh, you know, I, I think you will probably see a more athletic, athletic team. I know that <laughs> <laughs> working for the athletic, it's a lot of words, but, um, but you know, so a team that can, can play, players can play everywhere. They can run a little bit. Um, they may need to do a bit more, uh, you know, kind of, strategically to score runs as opposed to waiting for the three run homer. And, um, you know, it'll be different, but I think in time it could be an exciting way to look at it. And, you know, that, that has been a blueprint that has worked at the Coliseum for, you know, since 1968. And so um, if that is the way that this team develops, at least, you know, they know they're going to be at the Coliseum for the next several years, uh, even with a new stadium coming, you know, it's it's probably the right way to build a, a new team. So, uh, you know, I, I love outfield defense, center field. Dwayne Murphy's still my favorite player of all time, right? You know, it, 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 it would be fun to see a player like that be able to run down some balls in center field. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be fun. Watching Nick Allen play shortstop is going to be a joy. So those will be the things I think I'll look at. It would make a great radio tease. Will the athletics be athletic again? Coming up next right here on A's Cast. Hey, great stuff as always. You are the best. We'll keep reading you on the athletic, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. Melissa Lockhart does a great job covering this organization for the athletics. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.